lying in the tall grass. Wish I had a pilot and a podcast. Wish I had a strong donkey that can haul ass and travel with portable speakers playing bars scats. I wish I had a million dollars. I wish I had a million albums. I wish I had a million problems. That way I couldn't pinpoint all one million outcomes. I wish I found a genie lamp. I wish them girls gave me them sugar like Beanie Man. Yeah. I wish I was a comedian. Late night sitcom syndicated on TV land. I wish this well had water in it. These kids are stealing all my pennies. Focused on my wealth. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like, I wish, I wish that every time we dive in, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we do it, it feels just like this. I wish, I wish that every time we love in, it feels just like this. It feels just like this. It feels Wish I had a time machine. Wish I had a better rhyming speed. Wish that I could speak to giants after climbing up a green stalk that grew from my lime bean. I wish that I could spread my wings. Yeah. I wish that I had seven limbs. Yeah. That way I'd hold on to everything and laugh when I hear people wishing for the better things. I wish I spoke fluent Spanish. Dímelo, dímelo. At least I kind of understand it. <laughs> wish that I could throw the deuce like Gambit and get so large I could play pool with the planets. Yeah. I wish I was an astronaut. I wish I knew more classic rock. <laughs> Focused on myself. You can help me wish, but I would rather wish for help. It's like, it's like... Hello, cats and kittens, and welcome to episode 71, I think, of The Debrief. I am your host, Brianna Joy Gray, and today we're talking about drugs. Yes, this week on Bad Faith, I made a confession. I have revealed myself to be the squarest person on the left. My apologies for all the coolness points that have drained off of me as a consequence of this week's episode. Someone, when we spoke during our bonus episode earlier this week asked me about my drug use and now everybody knows my secret shame is revealed i am america's oldest living person who has never consumed marijuana in any variety or form <laughs> um let's talk about it this is a judgment-free zone i'm curious to know what you made of dr hart i thought he was a very compelling conversational com companion despite me being in the throes of uh my covid fever while conducting that interview uh i was definitely on a drug or two like uh tylenol and uh nyquil um all that aside let's get to it you might have might be a little bit sick of me since we already had so much um of me this week with our bonus episodes so let's just get right to the questions and hear from you the first caller we'll take this evening is Andy. How you doing, Andy? Oh, you were good, and then you went and muted yourself again. Uh, there I am. Okay. There you go. But yeah, hey, I'm hoping you're doing well. Uh, I've never tried pot either, and I'm 19, so that's something too. <laughs> we're slightly different in age, Andy. Well, yeah, but I have, you know, I have more experience with the youths, you know, and I mean, it's legal in California. So technically, I don't know. That's something. Sure. It's something. <laughs> Andy. What's, what's on your mind this evening? So I'm coming from this from the perspective of so my mom is homeless. My biological mm. mother, mm. Uh, she has a heroin addiction. Mm. 
and I was given up for adoption. I was, and it's an in-family adoption, so I'm okay. I've only seen her once in my life. Mm. And, oh, have you seen ContraPoint's newest video, The Hunger? The, the new, is, there's not a new, new one, is there? This is the one from maybe like a month ago? Maybe. I know she's like going to make two videos. So she started with The Hunger and then she's going to make another one, like a sequel to it. I, I believe I have seen the newest one. Yeah, it's about drugs. Well, maybe not. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> yes. It's, it's like a, it's three versions of her and they're arguing with herself. She's arguing with herself and um, one's about, uh, one's like a evangelical kind of yes, religious person. Yes. And by the yes. end... And by the end, she takes, like, drugs. Uh, she, like, talks about her opioid addiction. I don't know what opioids specifically, but... You know what? Um, I only I remember... watched half of that. That's what yeah. happened. I, I didn't make and it And I remember mm-hmm. um, on Twitter, she, like, clarified, because some people were asking, so are drugs okay? Is that what you're saying? And from what I read, or, like, what I understand it, she's like, well, I just think we have to understand that, you know, drugs are important for people because of how stressful the world can be and we shouldn't blame them for taking them is what I understood the video's message to be. And I think, you know, I can agree with, you know, Dr. Hart's understanding of how we should definitely be um, destigmatizing about addiction. And I think that there is a world in which we can have, I don't know, maybe like heroin salons or something, just something where people are being monitored and being, Mm -hmm. you know, making sure that this is all happening easily. But, uh, you know, of course I want to also, I feel like Dr. Hart was making a little bit light of how like, there are a lot of people with like addiction. um, What's it called? Like, uh, like have a history, like a family, what's it called? But like have a tendency towards addiction. Like you talked about how you Mm -hmm. fear that. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I do, you know, the difference between alcohol and heroin, it's like, you know, uh, alcohol can like mess you up, but I feel like it takes more alcohol than heroin. And yeah. Yeah. That's how I feel too. I mean, he, he said some of those stats about how, you know, X percent of people who do this substance or who takes X substance succumb to addiction and X percent of another. And he was making the broader point that even with drugs that we we think of as highly addictive, like heroin, it was like, what, one in five become mm-hmm. addicted? And when I heard those stats, I was like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't gamble one in five. <laughs> like, I don't have such a confidence in my own self. I, I think mm. another word for that confidence might be hubris, that it's not going to be me. And then when he said the alcohol statistic, I was like, oh, that's a lot higher than I thought it was. <laughs> um and that didn't reassure me so much. You know, obviously it doesn't make me think we should have prohibition, but it does make me think, you know, there's all a lot of risks in life and, and things like that. And when, and when he pointed to the fact that the it's the it's the other factors, not just the drug, but whether or not you have like family support or depression mm-hmm. or access to mental health care and all this other stuff. But a lot thinking, of people don't have that. Exactly. <laughs> That's why I said to him, like, you're, you're actually telling me in very plain English that I should not be <laughs> And I respect people for like, you know, I get that people need to like take drugs, I guess, to like fill a void in their life that is absent through, you know, kind of like contrapoints, what I took from it, like, you know, going through a rough time and drugs can help with that. And I can like see that. But I also think that we're in a state and like our economy where if we open the market to drugs, I like legalizing it, I think two things are going to happen or like one of two things are going to happen. One, I think companies are going to come in like the cigarette companies and like market to like teenagers or children about like, 
heroin, like, well, it's legal now. And I think it's going to be <clears throat> get out of hand. Or I think that because we live kind of close to like, I don't know, because like in California, we have um, gangs like the Bloods and Crips. I don't know how well they're doing now. But, you know, we have kind of like a drug culture. And I'm worried that might get out of hand. But I don't know. I think that it's worth, you know, taking it seriously, at least that, you know, drugs like heroin and all this other stuff are, well, powerful, you know? Well, I guess the point he was making was, I mean, and it got a little confused, I think, in in the way we talk about these things, but yeah. I do think he was ma- making the point not that there's no risk to drugs, but that the way that we address them as a society via criminalizing mm-hmm. drugs and criminalizing people who needed addiction support um, the war on drugs, the fact of the drug cartels and the effects of yeah. them not being legal and all of that is a worse, alter- worse than the alternative. So it's not that it's like we're all skipping through the poppy fields, <laughs> as it were, <laughs> and there's no risks, but that whatever risks come will be much better than what we're doing right now, which mm-hmm. is, a, it's a, I think, a much more compelling argument than kind of taking in a vacuum, you know, drugs are good or there's no risk to right. drugs because it seems so obviously not true. Yeah, that, I guess that wasn't what I was saying. I was saying more that like I could I'm talking about like I guess I was thinking focusing on the companies like the uh, nicotine and cigarettes, like if they got a hold of like heroin and like what else they would do with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that things are going to be commodified in our mm. capitalism. And I mean, this is kind of relates to the conversation from Monday's episode where it's, you know, there, there is a kind of a jump cut you can do to, to, there's not, it's not worth doing anything until we get under the heel of capitalism. You know, why are we caring about Twitter if it's just going to be, you know, the same um, kind of for profit and motives that are going to drive the, let's say, uh, uh, terms of service and censorship or, you know, yeah. what re- regime or whatever uh ends up happening. Sorry, I'm having maybe a little bit of brain fog. No, I get it. So, yeah, I mean, but that also can sometimes seem like an excuse too, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think Esperanza's point was valid regardless of whether or not we're still in in capitalism. I think that ultimately she is right that we're we're not going to find any real solutions looking to, uh, or sorry, or rather that we ultimately need to be aiming toward having a more democratized Twitter, however that happens. And the question is, like, what we do in the short term, how we how we manage Twitter in the short term. Okay. Um, Yeah. But anyway, thank you for weighing in. What did you you make of him saying that um, weed isn't that great anyway? (laughs) And that if I try a drug, it should be something different like MDMA and have a spiritual experience with my partner. I mean, I've always like kind of been interested in mushrooms or hallucinations. I've like had a few when I was just like very tired, but I don't know. I think you can just. Do what I mean. I've heard that pot is just kind of like nice and sort of like just relaxing, and you can just start small and just kind of like enjoy the high and just I don't know. I think you can just enjoy the little things. It doesn't seem like a too hard drug. You can just I don't know. Look, you got to make your own choices, Brianna. (laughs) Well, maybe let's let's get some people in here who maybe have a little bit more experience in the two. Oh, and what what do you think your mom would like respond to Doctor Hart? Like, what do you think your mom would say to him? Well, my mom's a psychologist also. And really interesting. Yeah. I I feel, I mean, when she is, she is, you know, not a drug 
person. <laughs> yeah. I even, you know, I don't think that she ever, I never asked her squarely if she ever tried any drug, but my impression is the answer would be no. And she wouldn't lie to me. Um, she and my father were both pretty square um, and straight. And part of that was, I yeah. think, because of, you know, my mother's experience with some, you know, things that she saw growing up that she didn't mm. want as a part of her life. And my father just came from a real straight edge Southern Christian family. So right. I, I think her, when she talked to us about it, it was never in a Pollyannish, Pollyannish way, but it was like, I think she had concerns about some of the things that Dr. Hart mentioned. So if you have a, a predisposition for certain mental health issues, including schizophrenia, I have a schizophrenic uncle. I mean, you know, there are real concerns that things, certain kinds of substances can trigger, exacerbate. Uh, various other kind of legitimate mental exactly. health conditions, especially when you're quite young and you don't know what's going to happen to you yet. You know, male onset of schizophrenia is around 19 years old, around the same time a lot of people start drug use. And women are a little bit later, but, you know, they, those are the kinds of concerns on her mind. And even to date, you know, we're all just trying to hold it together. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that her concerns are largely not like puritanical. I mean, she's recently been you know, trying to get THC and stuff for my grandmother and uh-huh. we're dealing with pain and stuff. But like, okay. it's not, it's not puritanical or like ideological. It's, I think, uh, an, as a firmly rooted in rational understanding of what the risks right. are, you know? Yeah. So. Okay. Thank you. Have thank a great you day. Thank you for calling in. You too, show. Andy. Keep the faith. Uh, keep the faith. All right. We've got Chicago Red back in the chat. How you doing, Red? Hey, <laughs> hey, funny enough, every time I'm saying, hey, yo, I actually got that shit from the wire. I be Because <laughs> y'all remember when Omar walked inside that project building? <laughs> it was like, it was like getting ready to rob the damn drug dealers. He was just walking in that bitch calm and saying, like, hey, yo. And I be walking to restaurants like that, too, to let these people know I'm here. Like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> Can I, I confess? I've never, I started to try to watch The Wire during some point in the last two COVID years, but I've only watched like eight episodes of The Wire total. Ah, me too. I couldn't even, I couldn't finish it by the, life just got in the way. But, oh man. Mm -hmm. Um, Did you you like it though? I like it. I want to get back into it. I'm just too busy out here. Okay. I hear you. I want to get back to it. But, um, yeah. So I would have to say that this guest over here. He is very intriguing. I think my mom would say I'm no longer allowed to listen to him. He would be a bad influence. <laughs> Same. Oh, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm not that conservative on drug use, but I'm not all the way sure on, like, what are all the grounds on, like, completely legalizing it just recreationally. Like, well, what are your I, concerns? And I've lived with people. that I, I got family members that are OD'd on this stuff. Yeah. On like a on like a whole lot, and it's just like even generational stuff now. I got people from the. I, I hope y'all get mad at me for that, but the crap ep- epidemic, and mm-hmm. got, I got friends and stuff. They ODing over the uh, opioids epidemic. Mm-hmm. So I definitely can't say like I do see like a lot of the harms that comes with it, but I do I do feel like he's on to something. Like you know, just legalizing it and like proper dosing and all of this stuff. I, I, I'll i be curious to see like how he could execute it in a way that can like, because to legalize at least that, we, come on, we can't even legalize weed and that ain't killing nobody. It's still Schedule yeah. 1. So, 
I mean, I'll be curious. I feel like if he would start, maybe we probably, and not being funny, probably should start with the supposed gateway drug and just legalize that or at least get that <laughs> off schedule one. Because I'm one of those people, because it was just like, I played this actually with a friend of mine, and he was getting mad and like this dude talking like talking so much shit about weed. And I was like, I'm not getting mad about it. I'm actually happy that he's doing it. No, talk, <laughs> say weed is a bad drug. Say weed isn't all that. Say it, it isn't. Destigmatize it. Let's normalize this shit. Get it legal already. So that way I can at least <laughs> enjoy it in peace. God damn. <laughs> well, yeah, I was really, I was really intrigued by the way that I was responding emotionally to different kinds of drugs. And I suspect that other people were feeling the same way. Cause we all, I mean, most people have experience with weed and, Though even those of us who don't understand that it, you know, doesn't hurt anybody, at least doesn't kill anybody, whether or not you think, you know, being a stoner in somebody's basement is like some social harm is a different question that someone else can debate on somebody else's podcast. But like I, I, I found myself feeling a little differently about the heroin and even more so than certain other psychedelics because of the, the social stigma around it all. Like, I'm really out here. I feel like if I were in a room with heroin, I would be acting like one of those cops with the fentanyl overdoses falling out on the floor talking about, oh, Lord, I think I got some on me. <laughs> Panicked in a mess because of how thoroughly, you know, I don't even want to say propagandized, but how, how thoroughly the cultural messaging is that it's just so, so dangerous. And if you do it once, it's over for you. And then the culture around heroin use in the media is also so unappealing it's so negative and for many of these things many of these kinds of drugs has been like i've I've never had a cultural affinity for it like i was never going to be like a seth rogan i mean he seems great like as a human being and i love that movie with him and charlie Theron. but like i never like that was not my vibe you know that wasn't my crew to hang out with like the james franco's and seth rogan's of the world and you know it certainly wasn't my vibe to be whatever the heroin chic or, you know, fast paced cocaine, New York lawyer parties. I mean, people like them were around, but I didn't like, like, like them <laughs> right. for other I, reasons. I mean, I mean, he was definitely right. Like I definitely wouldn't do this shit with like a crowd or nothing. I mean, I never had, I never had like a moment where I just like completely like tweaked out on some shit and whatever. So, like, all my crazy hat story involve other people's, which is, I don't know why I, I would feel comfortable about saying and why. But, no, nah, I feel like it should be, like, a safe space. That's why I would be curious to see, like, how would you execute something just regularly, just legalizing recreational use of, like, all types of drugs across the board. And I also was curious, I don't know, maybe he has it in his book or something, but, like, which ones is, like, more of a killer, like, legal, like more legalized drugs or vices or illegal because i would say like even with me knowing a lot of people that od i mean i've a lot of the people that i've seen that supposedly died from like overusage or misusage is a lot of is a lot of the legal stuff like maybe alcohol or Mm. medicine like over-the-counter medicine i'm I'm seeing way more people down opioid epidemic than anything else and i mean i guess maybe that number would go up on the illegal side just because maybe people, because I feel like a lot of those deaths that I feel like we're close to were, those were more so caused by complications with other medical issues. So I know he questioned, so I know he questioned that logic too. But um, I yeah. mean, I don't know. I'll be curious about like the statistics between illegal versus illegal. And I mean, I'm just, 
and I mean, I'm just a whole, I'm just a whole cannabis enthusiast to like the core. So that's <laughs> actually why I'm going to school for. I actually finished like training for, uh, for like dispensary training. I'm actually trying to learn how to grow into cultivation because I really want to just normalize, just normalize at least cannabis to the point where it's just like, it's like, it's really like even a whole list. It's really like a holistic experience. So, I mean, if there's a way that like all of that stuff can be recreational into like a holistic way of healing, because like he said, like a lot of the stuff that we use, like chemically and whatever, we just can't completely ban it because it is in a lot of medicine. Mm-hmm. That would just be, that would just be kind of like the curious route that I'm possibly even going with all of my studies into like cannabis too. But I would be curious into other stuff, into like some of the other substances too. Not like I could experiment with any of them. Um, only thing I could probably even like give another expertise on that I've tried ever once was maybe like ecstasy. I was yeah, surprised. That? I, I mean, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to encourage nobody, but <laughs> I mean, it felt weird because it just felt like everything felt just good i just kind of felt like it was just like a over happy eye and then it was just like after a while i kind of felt nothing so i just didn't know if i was just feeling good on my own or was it it was it enhanced by that but it was a fun night yeah i was talking to a friend of mine after i filmed the episode and he was telling me about uh i think it was either ecstasy or some one of those kind of happy pill ones uh, MDMA, I don't know, is it the same thing? I'm so sorry, guys. I know how I sound. I'm so sorry. I should have at least done a quick Google of here are the drugs before I got on here on the mic to expose myself like this. But he was saying that it was like, he's not like a big dancing kind of a guy. He says he went out, spent the whole night out, night out and dancing and having like the best time feeling no inhibitions. And then the next morning, he just felt like shit. <laughs> um, and like, like dead. And then, you know, fine later on. But, like, it was a wonderful night. When he's tried it, it's been, like, a wonderful night of, like, no inhibitions. And it it is, like, he agreed with Dr. Hart that it's just about, like, enhancing the experience and not doing the drug for doing the drug's sake. And, you know, I'm not, like, I mean, I drink alcohol. And in my 26, 36 years on the planet, if I've learned one thing, it's how to have a nice, clean evening of alcohol which involves not having any mixers or sugar and just having tequila, soda, and lime and calling it a day. And I obviously understand the experience of feeling less inhibited and relatively clear-headed in a way that I didn't used to feel when I used to drink other kinds of alcohol and mix it all together and make bad decisions. And it sounds like perfectly nice and reasonable, although the recovery on the next day seems less than ideal. Right. I mean, I don't even, I mean, yeah. Like it would be like it's like we definitely. I feel like we gotta find somebody else on this in this call in line to see who done more because it's just a matter of. Snap, hold on. Damn, so much traffic out here. Yeah, it's just a matter of just. It seems like more the legal stuff that we are doing mm. and everything that's like supposedly safe and everything you get. Hey, what up, man? Nah, it's just... Oh, my God. Okay, why everything want to come at me at once right now? It's okay, right? You're just saying that the legal stuff has people hurting out here, too. And I, I see Legend 1906 in the chat saying a lot of people dying from alcohol poisoning. 
I don't know why y'all not talking about that and saying alcohol should be illegal. And I think it's a fair point. I hope I can come across you in the queue um, so you can talk a little bit more about that. But thank you, as always, for calling in, Red. No doubt. Keep the faith and smoke Keep weed every day. <laughs> All right. I love I'll how Red's cool. like, <laughs> Red's like, I'm not trying to convince anybody to do anything, but uh, I'm getting my degree in pot and y'all just smoke weed every day. <laughs> <laughs> All right, keep the faith, Red. All right, keep the faith. <laughs> All right, David, what's on your mind this evening? Hey, Bree. A uh, couple things. Uh, first thing, my uh, wife and I watched Deep Space Nine. Yay! Uh, but uh, net, we we made it pretty far, but then Netflix got rid of it July first. Yeah, I know. And um, but we made it to the uh, episode where they go back in time to san francisco do you remember that one bell's rebellion one of the best episodes of star trek of all time of course <laughs> I, I i think it's called past tense but wait the one the one where they go back in time and it's it's not called bell's rebellion but it is bell's rebellion yeah, it's yeah, just, yeah. it goes back yep, into yep. the body of yep, yep. yeah yep, yep um do you remember what year that is it's got to be like 2020 2024 2020 something it's like that 2024 yeah so <laughs> it it was pretty uh yep prescient. well yeah. let's, let's hope it ha- i mean you know i obviously don't want the you know horror of what the pre- <laughs> preconditions were to be the case but i think we're pretty much already there for people who haven't seen the episode they go back in time because of some anomaly blah 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 star trek it's always something and uh they're in 2024 San Francisco, there's homelessness everywhere, and they've basically ghettoized the city and dumped everybody who's poor into, like, an enclosed area, like a literal walled-off area. Kind of like Arkham Asylum. (laughs) Kind Uh, of like Arkham Asylum, (laughs) sure. Whatever. If you're a a DC guy or gal. Sure, right. (laughs) And um, some of the crew members end up on the rich side. I think Dax ends up on the outside, and a very kindly rich man is taking care of her because she's a pretty lady. And, uh, Captain uh, Commander Cisco and some others, I think Julian Bashir, end up on the inside. Dax is trying to get her friends out. They're trying to get back to the future. But what they realize eventually is that they are in the bodies of real people whose actions end up sparking this rebellion that ends up bringing, a, you know, having being the turn of events. I think that starts the World War Three that basically ends up with the planet all fighting and then coming back together to form the Federation and being a much better place. Um, but it's it's highlighting it's basically extreme income inequality that was the spark. So as we're sitting here <laughs> in 2022, the conditions being what they are, it's an excellent episode to go and watch. I'm sure it landed somewhere else. It's probably on Discovery with the rest of um, not Discovery. Discovery is that the name of the channel, the streaming channel? Uh, anyway, it's probably there with the rest of Star Trek. Oh, um, so that that was the first thing. Uh, the second thing was, um, have you ever seen uh, Murdoch Mysteries? I have not. Okay. I think you would probably like that. Uh, so it's it's like a, uh, you know, uh, think kind of like a law and order, only it takes place in uh, uh, 1900. And it's in Toronto, Canada. And, um, you know, the... Uh, the detective, you know, uses sort of the, you know, very early, uh, you know, science of um, forgetting the word for, you know, it, criminal investigation. Start with Fore- forensics. Forensics. That's it. And mm-hmm. um, 
uh, I, I think you would like it. Um, so that's one to check out. Okay. And then, um, have you ever heard of the um, Represent Us movement? I don't think so. What is it? All right. So uh, it's it's a nationwide movement. Um, it's trying to get money out of politics and um, uh, promote rank choice voting. Hmm. So they actually um, they help get rank choice voting in Maine, um, and they actually successfully got the anti-corruption act through ballot initiative in South Dakota. And then the state legislature uh, declared a state of emergency and repealed it. Mm, Of course. Which was incredible. Yeah. Um, But um, they did a, a a bunch of ads called um, honest Gil Fulbright. They, they ran a fake candidate in, um, or like a parody candidate in uh, Mitch McConnell's district because it it was um, you know the most expensive uh, uh, race in the country. I I forget what year it was. Maybe like twenty twenty fourteen, twenty twelve, some somewhere around there. Mm-hmm. And um, the uh, commercials are hilarious, but. Um, I was wondering, I think one of the leaders there would be a really good interview. Okay. Um, so they had, um, I don't know if you remember when Stephen Colbert did his, um, you know, super PAC, Mm -hmm. uh, the lawyer, his lawyer that he had on the show that, you know, was like guiding him through the process of making a super PAC. Right after Citizens United happened, uh, Trevor Potter, I think. Okay. Um, he's on the board of uh, Represent Us. Um, the lobbyist who was demonized in the '90s, uh, rightly, rightly demonized. Um, what what the hell was his name? Uh, I can't remember. Um, anyway, um, I. I think you might be interested in that. And then um, the last thing was, so I'm 35. I've never done marijuana, but I have a uh, funny drug story. Uh, So my dad uh, was a pothead my entire life, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know until I was in college. Mm. Basically, uh, he used to smoke in the bathroom, uh, you know, mm-hmm. what, when I was growing up and, you know, I would go in there after him and I just thought that's what his movement smelled like. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, you know, he, he'd be in there coughing. And since it had happened my entire life, I never thought anything of it. Right. <laughs> so then I'm, uh, you know, I'm in college and I'm on a chairlift with him and he takes out a joint and all of a sudden all the dots just connect <laughs> like instantly and i realized that he smoked my entire life and i never knew i thought you were gonna say you were in college and your roommate came out of the bathroom and you were like wow your shit smelled like my dad's no so that's the funny <laughs> thing i i knew that smell 
still never put it together. <laughs> right? Because I, you know, my entire life, that's what it smelled like. And I just thought, you know, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. All right. Well, tell me one more time, just briefly, the name of the group so I can write it in my little Slack. Sure. Notes. So it's Represent Us. And they have a YouTube channel. Um, All right. I should be able to, I should be able to find it, but thank you so much for, uh, so, for, yeah. Um, j- um, uh, I had the name of the actress that their, their spokeswoman is, uh, a famous actress. They, they also recruited Ed Helms, uh, has, you know, done some stuff for them in addition to, um, Jack Black, I think has done a few, um, um, Okay. The guy from the office shit. Uh, not Steve Carell, but um, anyway, uh, all these actors, their names are just escaping me right now. It's okay. Anyway, it well, matter. I'll figure it out. But thank you yep. so much for letting me know and for calling in, David. Keep the faith. Okay. All right. Fahim, you're up next. What's on your mind this evening? Hi, uh, Brie. First of all, a great uh, show. And secondly, you do not have to feel bad about not trying uh, anything at uh, 37. <laughs> no, I seriously mean it because I never touched a uh, drop of alcohol till I turned 21. Mm. Uh, and when, even though my, I my immigrated to the U.S. in 94 uh, when I was 18 turning 19. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so, but I, well, I guess I was on a bit of a power trip that I'm going to wait till I turn uh, 21. And I never touched any drug till I turned uh, 33 and a lot of it was also because of the fact that I didn't know what was going to happen and all and growing up uh, uh, half of my growing up years was in Pakistan and this was during 83 till 94 and the drugs that I found there was mostly heroin Mm. and uh, and growing up in a society where uh, where if I got a 90 and you got a 95 and it would be like, why can't you be like Brie? Uh, <laughs> thing. It, I was always uh, like, you know, uh, if I, um, uh, and the people who did drugs, uh, at least there were uh, uh, people uh, basically uh, uh, out uh, on the streets uh, and all, and so that there was this uh, bit of like, okay, I don't want to end up uh, like uh, uh, mm. that uh, uh, thing. And so, for a long time, I asked uh, quite a few of my uh, friends, uh, like from uh, me, the don't say no worked fine, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, how did it work for you guys? Because when I uh, started my engineering uh, program. Uh, in uh, Texas, I live in San Diego now, but uh, when I was at uh, University of Texas, I would see some of like the really brightest students, they would be like total potheads, but I still I couldn't uh, bring myself to touch it till I turned 33. And then I was like, you know what? I really want to feel what uh, like standing, uh, be like uh, what it feels like to giggle all night long. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I tried the first time it gave me the spins. The second mm-hmm. time, my chest burned. The mm-hmm. third time, 
I was, uh, uh, I mean, I was in a corner just laughing and I would try to control my cheeks uh, and all. And I'm like, okay, I, I, I'm just laughing like an idiot. Uh, <laughs> and then I asked uh, my friends, I'm like, hey, do you guys have uh, like any like uh, sports bar or something? And they're all laughing at me and they're like, oh, yeah, if I, you got the munchies. Uh, and all and, and and so that was the last time I tried weed that same month I was like okay I want to try ecstasy because I want to get this lovey-dovey feeling uh, what this is all about and the first time I my friends were floored after like a first pill I ended up having four pills oh did, did not feel anything and uh, the uh, second time I uh, tried uh, like two uh, uh, pills and it was at one of those warehouse uh, parties uh, in uh, LA uh, area that go on till like sunrise. And uh, the, the second time I tried it, my heartbeat went through the roof and I stayed up for like two days. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, and I was like, okay, I don't need this uh, shit. But I was like, okay, I'm gonna wanna try one more time. The third time I tried it, felt nothing. And then I was like, okay, I want to try mushrooms and see how it feels uh, uh, like. And the first time I felt like I was eating like salted almonds or something. Uh, huh. and, 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 and I was by the beach uh, uh, and all. But uh, the uh, second time I tried almost like a, uh, the size of like one of those doggy poop bags. Uh, and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, and basically the next day all I got was like uh, a upset uh, like a runny bum and that was it mm-hmm. uh, and so, I, so one of my close friends he said Fahim your uh, high is being with friends having a great time trust me I've done everything on the menu and I didn't and uh, you really don't need uh, 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 that. And but one of the things uh, that uh, Dr. Hart mentioned when he talked about uh, uh, heroin and and uh, other drugs and all, part of me was like, okay, uh, I'm first of all all for legalizing. Uh, mm-hmm. I I, ha- I don't have any issues uh, uh, with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, I was like the what unless you have a uh, very strong social system that if somebody screws up uh, and or makes a a mistake or even like is ODing and so on and uh, so forth, uh, it's basically uh, like a situation where you legalize it, the uh, first two or three mess ups and the next thing you know, uh, the reactionaries come down uh, with a hammer, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, worse than a hammer, uh, on it. And and I find it personally very depressing of like how uh, the war on drugs is literally a war on the uh, poor. Like my, I had a chance um, a few years ago to. Uh, train uh, uh, my dog on scent work and I had the option of doing explosives versus narcotics mm-hmm. and I was like you know what For good, first of all for a dog scent is scent the dog is not like oh it's narcotics whatever and it's explosives oh I gotta get my shit together uh, they're <laughs> not going by uh, that but I felt so 
disgusted by seeing of like some poor kid uh, who has a little bit of uh, anything uh, on him is going to have his life wrecked uh, and a rich uh, kid uh, in Newport Beach or whatever can have his trunk full with something and daddy's lawyers are going to take uh, him uh, off. Uh, so so mm-hmm. that, that's why I was like, you know what, if I'm going to uh, do something to uh, uh, basically just w- work with my uh, four-legged pipe hitter, but then uh, I uh, want to do something that is at least beneficial rather than destroying uh, uh, people's uh, lives and all. So, but, but no, I, I just wanted to... Uh, one thing I wanted to say, I'm like, don't feel bad about it. Don't, uh, and, and I'm curious as to how much for you was it the fact of like, um, if I if, uh, did something wrong or if something were uh, 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 to happen, how would it, uh, uh, did you have a lot of like familial uh, pressure of like, okay, don't disgrace the family uh, in uh, name, or did you have that pressure on, on you, or you, or even if it's a self-induced pressure of like, okay, I can't, uh, I don't want to uh, end up uh, uh, causing my folks uh, trouble, but and also I'm curious to hear from you. I mean, honestly, it was barely a conversation because I was never, I was never going to do it. I, I don't know, man. Like, I didn't have a puni- I didn't have punitive parents. They didn't, I didn't have a tiger mom. I never got like a lot of pressure any, either way, like for school, to do schoolwork or to bring home certain kinds of grades. I mean, like it was obviously encouraged, like have good grades. And like we sat down, my parents were teachers. We all did our homework at the dining room table at night and stuff like that together. But it never felt like punitive. And I don't ever honestly remember even having a conversation, frankly, straight up about drugs. I mean, I'm sure at some point somebody said, don't do drugs. <laughs> but I, it wasn't like a thing. We spent so much time together. Also, it was, it was like, when was I going to be doing drugs? When was I going to be getting drugs? Like to the, to date, I don't understand how people, cause remember I grew up overseas, I, I, you know, yeah, I know you in know. an expat community that was very small. And like, we lived in a gated community with other, like eight, 10 other expat families, like a mile walk from school. So, I mean, I, I, the irony is, like, one of the kids in the community actually did die of a drug overdose. But when that happened, I remember, like, the guy, he lived at the end of our street. He was a couple years older than me. And I remember just being, it felt like another, something that happened from another world. Like, I just didn't understand, like, how he got them. I remember thinking that, like, where do they even come from? And in Kenya, like, kids used to buy them off of the, of the like support staff, like mm-hmm. the guards at the houses, you know, everybody had a guard and a gardener and, you know, and people, and obviously the economic disparity is so extreme that any kid can come up, any Western kid can come up with the amount of money that was very meaningful to the local population. And that set up a scenario where if you were motivated to get them, apparently it was relatively easy, but that just would not have even occurred to me. I don't know. I don't know. It just would not even occur to me. But for me, the other thing is when you were describing, um, you were describing like the feeling, like I, I am, I have never felt when I'm just, when I'm inhibited out, let's say I want to go and chat up some guy and I'm out at a bar or something. 
You know, I've never felt like it wasn't something a cocktail couldn't cure. Just like not a lot of cocktails, just like a cocktail. <laughs> and it just has never, you know, when, when Dr. Hart talks about wanting to do, you know, certain substances to enjoy and experience with his partner, that really resonates with me. But at the same time, like I, I can see that, right? Like you're not doing the drug to do a drug. You're doing it the same way that you would take your partner to watch a sunset, go to a nice restaurant, go on vacation, to enjoy an experience together in like a new kind of setting. But I also, <laughs> I don't know, there's a part of me that makes me, it's maybe this is my own insecurity, obviously talking, that feels like, is it? If you're with someone and it's like your real partner, fine. But if you're kind of in a dating stage, I'd be curious about, like, do I feel like this is inauthentic? Am I, is it like that scene from Annie Hall no. where he gets mad that she won't have sex with him unless she's high? Like, no. At what, point, <laughs> at what point is it like we're taking a trip someplace? And at what point is it like we aren't enjoying our, each other's company unless we're in Tulum? No, that that is. I'm I'm so glad you brought uh, that up because one of my really close uh, friends, every time she would meet some uh, guy and all, it was always around drinks and uh, multiple uh, drinks. And within a few uh, of months or within a short uh, time, it would uh, basically uh, just go down uh, the shit can and. And I was always like, okay, does, uh, do you really need, uh, how hard, uh, I mean, can't you just have a conversation uh, or just meet people in the uh, real form of like without any drinks uh, and all. And uh, I, I never, uh, that is, I com uh, completely uh, agree with you on, on that. Personally, like I, when it comes to like the, dating uh thing i'm like okay if uh, uh if i can't have a conversation with somebody without any uh, drinks or maybe a drink at the most okay well, then that's pretty much it but i i don't want to uh, have stuff with uh where you're not you uh, really in like a everyday shape and uh form I, I mean that's just me maybe i'm being a prude also but uh, yeah, I mean, and I've experienced, I've hung out with people who, or like dated people who, it's like every time we get together, it has to be alcohol. And at first you don't notice because it's like, oh, we're at a restaurant. We're going to have a drink with dinner. Okay, we're at, we go to a bar after. Like the first, you know, several dates are like these, these out dates, these, these restaurant style dates. So it's like natural to the circumstance. But then you'll find it's like two o'clock. <laughs> on an afternoon on like a Saturday afternoon. And they're like, let's open this bottle of red. And I'm like, mm, it's like 80 degrees outside. I don't, I, I actively don't want to be drinking red wine at two o'clock on the afternoon when the sun is blaring down on my head. There's no, why do you want to like, at least I offered me an Aperol spritz. <laughs> no, but like, I'm kidding. But you know, then it starts to become apparent that every time you're in a social situation, they're wanting it. And I think that's like actually quite normal. Like I, I experience that very, very often. And same here. I, I had one part, one boyfriend, ex-boyfriend of mine. And we talked about it. I was like, I actually, he like, do you want a drink? And I was like, I actually no. And he was like, yeah, actually me either. And we had this talk where he's like, yeah, like in my last relationship, whatever we did had to involve alcohol. And I didn't really realize that it didn't have to be that way until like we, we started dating and things were just different. I didn't realize how kind of 
intense it had gotten in the last relationship until I had this to compare it to. I'm like, yeah, me too. I've experienced that as well. And that sounds so judgmental. I don't mean it judgmentally, but I do think that sometimes we unconsciously, you know, it's there. Alcohol makes things better. Why not add it to the, add it to the pile? Sure. Why not? But it can get into a weird kind of a place. And I, I, I know my own tendencies and I, and I'm concerned that the thing about doing drugs and experiencing it in a relationship, I'm sure it is very, very nice. I'm, I don't doubt that at all. I'm sure it's like unbelievable, but that's almost my concern. If it's so unbelievable, why wouldn't I want to do it all the time? No, I, I as, uh, see that. And for me, the big uh, thing when my friends would uh, do it, I was always uh, the DD and all. And they would always call me like, OK, well, we've got the good shepherd uh, with us. And I enjoyed more of like keeping an eye on like, OK, everything's good and nobody's uh, in trouble uh, and all and still be going out and having uh, uh, fun but but no I uh, uh, but either uh, way I mean when he mentioned about uh, like good quality this and good quality that uh, and all part of me was like okay uh, to have that you do need a strong uh, social uh, program but I mean uh, Brie you've got a lot of callers I didn't want to take more of your time on a two last uh, lighter notes is uh, uh, milieu the new uh, praxis in leftist circles are people I, saying milieu a lot uh, oh yeah i mean a few and uh, like I, i've been hearing a lot of people saying milieu the milieu and just like uh, of like two years ago or so everyone was saying praxis and praxis and and i was like what the heck, man? Uh, how, how do you talk with a person on the street uh, saying these uh, big uh, fancy uh, words? And the other thing I always found funny was like I see a lot of uh, uh, leftists uh, and all being cat people. And I'm like, OK, we need some more dog people. Come on, help me out. So. Well, I'm guilty of saying milieu, but I am definitely not a cat person. So I hope you'll, <laughs> you'll hope you'll forgive me. <laughs> no, no, I, I, no. But thank you so much, Brie, for giving me the time. I uh, really enjoyed it. And, and the thing that I really enjoy is I love your callers. I really, really love uh, me to too. Your, uh, <laughs> to your callers and uh, like, especially like cousin Eric and all. It's just, uh, <laughs> just no. I, I really do. I mean, it's just fun. Is he really your cousin? No, he's not my cousin. But he's he's coming up right after you. Okay, I really enjoy <laughs> listening to, uh, to him. So, but anyways, thank you so much. All right. Thank you, okay. Fahim. Keep Bye-bye. the faith. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Cousin Eric, your name was spoken and here you are. Yes. Dreams do come true, I guess. <laughs> What's on your mind this evening? Um, well, the Biden getting COVID. Mm, let's talk about it. Now, this was my initial reaction. Um is a little bit fucked up and okay yeah because i can at first I, at first i thought of that dave Chappelle meme like gotcha bitch you know but i thought about <laughs> i thought of, I, I thought about that and then, and then i'm like well if anyone cares he got covid mm-hmm. so yeah i guess he's gonna get the the whole kitchen sink treatment like trump did mm-hmm. so Whatever. So Katie Halper, when the news broke this morning, you know, she's guest hosting the Hill while I'm out. And she texted me uh, 
your secret affair with COVID uh, with Biden will be exposed now that you're both out with COVID. <laughs> um, I thought it was funnier than it. apparently you do, cousin yeah. Eric. But <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know he's the president of the United States and he is going to get every available treatment and I'm sure he'll be fine. And it, you know what I was frustrated with by, I haven't been following with much. I have taken this week to not be on the internet and I've been enjoying it a great deal, but I did see a tweet about Kareem um, Pierre, Jean-Pierre saying, you know, that everyone's going to get COVID, which of course is what Robbie has been saying for a long time on the Hill. And I don't know, there's something about that that really disturbs me. It, it is the kind of thing that I, anticipate administration saying because it is some of the kind of thing that absolves them of the responsibility to work hard to minimize the effects of COVID and to minimize the spread. But when individuals say it, like it frustrates me sometimes when Robbie says it, because it's like, you're just giving them an excuse not to do anything. It's like all of the neolibs and, you know, uh, K-Hive people who walk around saying like, what can Biden do? Like it's, it's mansion and cinema. So what can he do? It's like a built-in excuse for I not mean, even trying to do anything at all. I mean, you preach to the choir here. I'm in Florida. The, the, these motherfuckers down here are the epitome of hyper-individualism. Mm. It, it's, it's, it's just like, well, me, 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 me. Um, okay. But what about the person, you know, next to you, you know? Um, uh, can you actually, you know, at least pretend to have compassion? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, the 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 not asshole read of that take is that you know, especially with a super contagious variant, the likes of which we're experiencing now, the the things that you can do are rather extreme in nature, uh, in terms of you know, lockdowns. Yes, mask mandates, distributing actually high-functioning masks and not just like random do-nothing cloth BS to people in their homes, distributing way more tests than they've been distributing because people should be testing with more regularity if you actually want to stop the spread, paying people to stay home from work, which is a thing that nobody is getting, certainly not <laughs> yours truly, um, and all of these other kinds of things, right? There's every incident for the world in the world for me to be like, oh, I'm great. Let me just go in anyway. Like no one forced me to test Monday night after I got off of the call-in before I went into the hill, right? I, I did it because I had the free Biden test, so I'm grateful for that. And because I'm not an asshole. <laughs> but the person who gave it to me didn't do that. Because, you know, I, I don't know where I got it, but I don't think I got it traveling because neither my brother or mom got it. Although the woman I was sitting next to on the plane on the way home was talking loudly and unmaskedly about how everyone on her cruise got COVID except for her. I roll. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's either there or uh, at the Hill. Those are the only places I go. So I, I don't mean that to attribute blame. It's not anybody's fault for having COVID and not knowing it. But it does... I, I became, you know, I made it all this way, I think, because unlike a lot of people, I work from home and that's like a privilege that I have. And I frankly, when I took the Hill job, it's like, this is a risk that I'm taking on. And it's just it's really shitty that people have to think about their jobs that way, that people have had to think about life that way, obviously nonstop for the last two years. It's frustrating because I don't think everyone has to get COVID. I know a lot of people who don't haven't gotten COVID. Katie Halper hasn't gotten COVID. My mom hasn't gotten COVID. My brother's never gotten COVID. My stepfather's never gotten COVID. My little brother did in the very, very beginning, like the first month. 
Dang. But like my grandmother's never gotten COVID. My aunt's never gotten COVID. She works in a hospital. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like this yeah. idea that everyone's gotten COVID, like almost no one in my immediate life has gotten COVID. None of my, I think most of my friends haven't from like college, let's say. And my my friends with little kids do because they're all bringing them home from from daycare now. Yeah, but yeah, it's, it's frustrating. It's, yeah, and and you know, like I don't know. Did you get to read Richard Wolf's book, um, uh, "The Sickness Is the System"? No, because um, he mentioned it because as you know, I teach. He mentioned about um, um, schools should have gone to like a more tutor based approach, and reduce class sizes to like a few people like four or five at most and 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 i'm like well damn we're too dumb to do that first of all um second of all we don't we don't actually have an ecosystem for education that actually we don't have the resources we don't have the teachers in the capacity to do that and don't don't forget brie we also don't give a fuck so right they don't have the interest in even trying like we're two years into this now if they wanted to have a mass, I don't know, teacher, most teaching, teachers require a master's degree. If they wanted to have a two-year program to incentivize a bunch of people who weren't teachers to go ahead and become teachers and say, if you go ahead and start a master's program in 2020, we're having starting salaries of $60,000 a year. We need more teachers. That's a, that's a thing that you could have offered. <laughs> But those aren't the choices that we make in this country. That's not where we want to put our money. Instead, we're sending ground launch missile thingies to Ukraine or what have you. Yeah. And speaking of that, that I guess that kind of gets me into the drug part of it. Um, I guess, personally, we should have just gone, because most of the country is already, like, cool with a lot of, with, like, marijuana even though it's not technically a, a drug, drug per se, but whatever. Um, well, why do you say that? Like, I mean, I think part I, of what Dr. Hart was arguing is that we have these artificial divisions. He's like poppies, opioids are from a, a poppy seed. It's all from a plant. It's all very natural, if you want to put it that way. Yeah, yeah. I just like, when you use the term drug, it's kind of, it has this, a, it has this uh, connotation to it. It's just weird. Because, there's no again, people. People are like, oh my god, it's drugs. But whatever. That's like some of these old heads. Um, but I just said, look, just go ahead and do full drug DLRT and just be done. Because we're pretty much heading there anyway. You do full drug RT? What does that mean? D- DLRT. Decriminalization, legalization. What does that mean? Regulation and taxation. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I I think so. But like you heard his remarks at the end of the podcast, you know how you hear, you know, we're Joe Biden's president. I didn't vote for him, but you know, y'all chose him. So. (laughs) I didn't didn't shit. I I didn't shit. You got, you got black people being, you got other black people just being scared and shit. It's embarrassing. Uh, That's another discussion. But, but Yeah. Um, and of course, some of my students would love it because I end up with a lot of them because of either drugs or fighting. So yay, um, or or gang related activity apparently. Yeah, I mean that's difficult, and I don't know if Doctor uh, Hart is the 
guest for this, but I'm sure, I mean, there's obviously a million and one incentives. I mean, the, the drug infrastructure, the illegal drug infrastructure is so enormous and implicates our government in so many ways and geopolitics in so many ways that there are a lot of incentives against legalizing, legalizing all kinds of substances that go far beyond any concern trolling about what's going to happen to human beings who use the drugs. So that's, that's a whole other kid and caboodle, but you know, I always appreciate talking to you cousin Eric. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll stop talking too much and just get off. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I'll see Uh, you on the, on the, on the next one. I'm sure. Keep the faith. Uh, uh, you too. All right, Matthew, you're up next. You're making good time. Oh, but the caller, the line still gets, the faster I go through, the longer the line gets. But it's okay. I'm here for you guys. What's on your mind this evening, Matthew? Pleasure to finally talk with you, Bree. You're a first-time caller? Yes, I am, actually. Um, uh, and by the way, I, I'm sure I speak for everyone just saying that uh, we can never get too much of you. Uh, three or four Collins a week are fine with all of us, I think. So I'll just put that out there now. Uh, well, I appreciate you. What are you thinking about uh, this evening? Well, let's, I'll try to keep it on topic with Dr. Hart. Um, I've heard him before on the Rogan podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, just another person you might want to talk to about the drug war would be, I think it's Johan Hari. Uh, he, he wrote the book Chasing the Scream. Great book. Um in which a lot of the story of that book is, I can't remember the name of the singer, but she either performed or wrote the song. Was it Strange Fruit? It's that. Billie um, Holiday? Yes, correct. Uh, thank you. Uh, yes, mm-hmm. that's, that's her. And it's a, it's a great book. It covers a lot of different subjects, but uh, also a great drug uh, legalization book, which, by the way, I'm a proponent of. I think um, your last caller, Cousin Eric there, nailed it perfectly. I think these things just, the drug war's over. We lost. It's it's done. Um, you got China shipping fentanyl into Mexico, which comes right in through our border. Uh, the drug cartels in Mexico are, you know, and not it's it's, it's uncomfortable to say, but there's just it's a lot of monstrosity and horror happening down there, and the the corruption of the Mexican government through all the money, frankly, from America. Mm-hmm. We have a drug addiction problem in this country, and we are shipping billions of dollars into this country where we are subjecting a populace to essentially terror by feudal warlords. And it's it's unacceptable. And that's I've made this argument argument to many of my conservative friends who uh, they find the idea of drug legalization repugnant because they've seen family and friends uh, succumb to meth addictions and things like that. And so. Mm-hmm very naturally they have a physical reaction to, Hey, drugs are bad. You just can't, we can't do that. That's what are you thinking? And going back to some of what your other callers have said is under our current system, you're right. There's, there's going to be some capitalist swine who's going to move in and they're going to try to capitalize on that system of like, Hey, let's legal. Oh, pot's legal everywhere. Now we're going to push it on kids or, Hey, you can get this, uh, diffuse version of heroin or whatever fentanyl that's totally cool and safe we'll put it in your mountain dew i mean i can't imagine what they would try to do with it if they got those gates open to them but at the same time we just like i said go back to my original point we can't ignore the fact that the drug war has cost us millions it's locking people up poor people mainly mm-hmm. in prisons it's just a failed endeavor and we have to get past it and that's i don't know how we get there i mean but it's it's just up to no good and 
Oh, and by the way, <laughs> smoke weed every day. That's for red out there. <laughs> by the way and i'll i will also say if, you, if you're gonna start if you want to try using a drug i saw someone in the chat say use edibles it's like no be careful with that stuff even pot these days is not like the pot that i was smoking when i was like 14 years old i mean today's weed is out of control and i'm someone who's used most of the drugs like dr hart i've never injected anything into my body but i've smoked i've snorted i fucking pop pills i've I've done it all. And frankly, the most dangerous drug that I'm still struggling with is alcohol. Mm-hmm. That is the drug where I will, I use it. I know I use it too much. I can see it in my body and I'm like, well, I need to slow down. But even out of all the Coke I've done, I've never had an issue just putting that aside. And I think that is something that everyone has to acknowledge with themselves. Like you might try a bunch of different things and you'll find your weakness if you keep experimenting. Mm. And that's the dangerous part. You will find your weakness. Yeah. That's my intuition, but it makes me like, I don't know. I feel like that's so out of step with, let's say Dr. Hart's approach or so many other people's approach. I mean, I, I see my friends at this point, like my friends, nobody really smoke pot that much when we were in college. One of my very good friends was in the Navy and couldn't, and there were like exceeding circumstances for other people at different times. But I, nowadays, where is the adult meetup that I go to? I mean, to the extent that I'm still going on meetups because of COVID, but <laughs> where is the adult meetup that I've been to in the last, let's say five years or so, where someone doesn't like pull out a vape or pass around some gummies or, you know, cook up a batch of brownies or something. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it has become increasingly culturally, like, de-Seth rogan Like, so it'll <laughs> be a group of, like, bourgeois black people playing tennis and passing around brownies. <laughs> like, it'll be, it'll be, like, very, like, culturally coded and in a very different way. And in ways that, frankly, feel appealing to me. Like, when they made those brownies, they smell good. I love a brownie (laughs) and it was irritating to me that like I couldn't have a regular brownie. Where's the straight edge brownie? (laughs) (laughs) And then everyone was like, I I was fascinated by the process. The girl who was cooking it was like, well, this is how much oil you put in. You can't make it this over this heater. It will kill the blah, blah, blah. And I was like, this is fascinating. And it was, it looks delicious. And everything about it was appealing to me in the way that a lot of pop culture was never appealing to me. But like that, every time I feel interested, that's almost what I'm like, oh, I don't like that scares me. <laughs> My own interest well, scares me. Yeah. And I don't think that's an unhealthy, uh, the fear is not an unhealthy thing, frankly. And I wish I had had more fear when I was younger because um, I did not have the fear. My curiosity overwhelmed my fear by a great margin. I was willing to do it all. I wanted to experience it all right away. And I, you know, frankly was put myself in some very unsafe situations. I mean, that's one thing people to talk about is like, I grew up in a very lily white suburb uh, between Seattle and Tacoma. And, you know, and, and outside, you know, looking in, it's not dangerous at all. But when you go seeking the drug trade in a black market, I was in the car with grown men when I was like 15, 16 years old, where I had mm-hmm. no idea what happened. Was I going to get robbed? What could go wrong? Are the cops going to show up? I have no idea. And it's like my, I remember very many situations where my, my adrenaline's pumping, like what's mm-hmm. happening. And then, oh, I just got my drugs. Let's go, 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 get out of here. Because <laughs> it's scary. Yeah. And well, nowadays with the league. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't interrupt. No, I just wanted to say, I'll wrap up. Just, I guarantee there's other situations with people where that situation didn't work out as well as it did for me. That's all I was going to say. It, it could have been, it could have gone worse is all I wanted to say. 
Yeah, for sure. And that was also a huge prohibition for me, except for now, um, you know, especially like in DC, you can just, you know, order it on an app mm-hmm. and there's no risks at all. I mean, there's the same level of risk from ordering GoPuff, which is, uh, like a food delivery service they have here, which I only later discovered was for drugs. I've been running around screaming to everybody. The best thing about DC is GoPuff. There's this app called GoPuff. And at any time of night, cause stores close really early here in DC. It's not like you can like, you basically can't order takeout after 8 PM, like reliably. So I'm like, I'm like, I found this GoPuff thing that delivered to you all night. And the GoPuff basically delivers what you would expect to find in a CVS. So, you know, potato chips, candy, you could get like some almond milk, a carton of eggs, you know, you can get beer, Coca-Cola, but like not, not real groceries, but yeah. it was like forever before I put together that it's like a munchy branded app. <laughs> like the, the words go puff weren't enough for me to realize that it's a late night munchies app that I've been like, I was like, Hey Bernie, have you heard about this thing called go puff? Like, I've been truly talking about it in the least appropriate circumstances, not realizing the implications, but whatever. It's Bree, a great app. Bree, we need to talk. We need to talk about this go puff app. You need to stop talking about this go puff app. Basically. Oh, the well, one other point I'll I make. Yeah. <laughs> You before you go, I'll also say I saw someone say this in the chat as well. Like Dr. Hart's point was that um, you mentioned that the the war on drugs was futile, and I said the same thing to him, and he was like, "No, it's not. Um, it's working exactly as designed, and that's mm. that's the issue. Like it's you know, and I I know how you meant it, I know how I meant it, but he when I said that on the podcast, he redirected and was like, "No, it's it's not that the war on drugs isn't working. It's working entirely too well. well so I yeah." Mm-hmm. Isn't that isn't that more of a reason to get rid of it? I mean, I just I I don't think that negates the point. I just I want to get rid of it. I yeah, for I, sure. Okay, for I, sure. I, no, I understand their point, saying that it was implemented for this purpose, and I I mean I can't change that. I mean I maybe that's true, maybe it's not. We that's just something we can argue about, and certainly I you know would um, take a back seat to Dr. Hart's expertise on the subject. However, I'm just saying that that belies the ultimate goal. It's like the goal is to get rid of it. The goal mm-hmm. is it's not doing us any good. And really, I mean, so many things, including, I mean, I don't want to go off on a tangent and I won't because I know you got other callers. Everything is more education, more um, in, just including birth control and all that stuff that's going on. Another controversy that's happening is like these things just require people to be them to be dis- destigmatized. People to see what the real implication of not only drugs, every drug, but sex is. I mean, I'm sitting here talking to you about this. I graduated the D.A.R.E. program. I spoke in front of my school as a D.A.R.E. graduate about not using drugs. Did you really? Yes. Yeah, my (laughs) elementary school. And then immediately upon entering junior high, was hungry for every drug that I could get my hands on. So That's hilarious. I mean, you know, it is something. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it tells you that. Some of these programs might not work, but they're probably just designed poorly. It's there's there's th- there's ways of communicating to kids that, but people want to communicate like they have a yardstick in their hand. They're going to snap you on the wrist or the back of the hand. That is not a way to communicate to kids. That's only, anyways. Once again, a whole other subject. We can go down that rabbit hole. I appreciate you taking my call for the first time, Bree, and I will call back. And, Please do, uh, have Matthew. A lovely evening and Thank get you. over your get over your COVID. Talk to you soon. Thank you. I'm doing my darnest. Uh, Johnny, you're up. 
you're up next. What's on your mind this evening? Everyone's got drug paraphernalia in their in their apps today, in their uh, avatars, rather. A, Did you change it for the show, or is this just the audience? <laughs> no, that's one of my heroes, Jerry having tobacco out of a pipe, perfectly legal substance. Johnny, you're real glitchy. I don't know if there's anything you can do about it. Um, <clears throat> how's about this? Much better. in the world now. Okay, great. Yeah, so I wanted to talk about drugs and how yeah. nice they are. Um, <laughs> Tell me I've about had, Johnny. I've had so many positive experiences that I feel like have shaped me to be a more responsible uh, human being. Most of which, you know, I could say that I've had a lot of fun on things like cocaine and MDMA and alcohol and, you know, things of that nature. But psychedelics in particular... Um, I can say have really redirected my life in, uh, numerous ways that have like stuck with me. And I could say that before this point, I was different than I am now. And that's something I'd like to, well, um, it's psychedelics open you up to thinking about things in an entirely different way. But it's still you. It's still the way that you think. But all of a sudden, there's a new pathway into that issue. Like, I've overcome so many issues communicating, like, with my dad. And just having empathy about, like, well, like, I know it's cliche, but he really did his best. Even though I resented him so much for, like, all the things he didn't do. And now, I have nothing but love for him. And I can't, like, hold that against him, any of the choices that he made. Because ultimately... He was just trying to protect himself and blah, 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 all the psychology. But um, that's one thing for sure. I decided to. You know, uh, wouldn't have happened absent, absent the use of psychedelics? Absolutely. It, it, I connected dots during a psychedelic experience that I, like, I was sitting there kind of like just shitting on my dad and like, oh, how fucked up he was and everything. And, and I started thinking, well, when, how old was he when he first had kids? And I was like, well, he was 21. And how old am I now? I was 23 at the time. And it's like, how would your life be if you had a two-year-old? And it's Mm -hmm. like, well, I wouldn't be here in one of the more beautiful places that I know around the area with my best friend feeling incredible on a beautiful summer day. I definitely wouldn't be here doing that. And Mm -hmm. I realized that emotionally I was able to take time and contemplate and reflect things that he never would have been able to given his circumstances and the choices that he made so that I could also be here now. So it, it, I never thought like that. You know, I, there was no training for me. That wasn't like a very logical jump for me to have given enough time. I, I hear that, but I guess I, there's no way for me to kind of, I think, say this without it sounding like I'm acting like I'm invincible and don't have any problems or something. But I guess mm-hmm. I don't feel like I, I I experience those kinds of barriers to communication or to intimacy or to, you know, my inhibitions in, in public and things like that. It's not that I'm, like, immune. Like, I definitely need a tequila soda with lime, you know, in a tough social situation or if I, you know, go salsa dancing or something. But I I... I don't know, like, with, with the tools that I've got, 
I feel good. I feel happy. I enjoy myself when I go out. I laugh and giggle and am silly with friends. And when I'm out with my friends who prefer to take gummies and I'm drinking and they're taking gummies, it feels like we're in the exact same place. Well, and, let me ask you this. How how was, uh-huh. how was your childhood? How was your parents' influence on your life? Did you have a like a relatively stable childhood? I did. I didn't. And so I feel like a lot of the comforts that maybe were afforded to just like seeing good role models your entire life. I didn't really have good role models. My parents still aren't like I make more money than both of my parents right now. And it's because I've taken a totally different path than what was presented to them and what they did. And they made Mm -hmm. sacrifices that, you know, allowed me to be where I am and who I am. But that was something that I really had to kind of earn. And I two I have two brothers one both of them older neither one of them are on the same trajectory that I am and Mm -hmm. that could be a lot of different things but they haven't done the kind of you know work with psychedelics that I have and taken that time and um not that they should or any I'm not saying it's for everybody but I'm saying that Well that's interesting. If, let's st- let's stay with that yeah. for a second because you attribute your kind of life path to having had some insights while using psychedelics but you're not entirely sure whether you're brought you would recommend the same for your brothers despite it's, uh, what I'm hearing from you is that you think that you're kind of on a better path than they are or at least a more kind of lucrative or successful financially or professionally path than they are so what's what's the hesitation that makes you not necessarily want to recommend that experience to your brothers curiosity if they wanted to then I would be the perfect person to do it with and I would be honored and it would be one of the greatest pleasures of my life I mean I mean, I took MDMA with one of my brothers very recently and we connected in a way that, you know, we might have connected just hanging out smoking a joint or not because he doesn't smoke weed. He just drinks and I smoke weed and I don't drink much. And so, you know, it's like but we didn't have like a deep like mushroom or LSD kind of trip. And those trips are the ones that really kind of shake things. And MDMA is better for like either stabilizing or being more honest about a relationship because, Mm -hmm. again, it these psychedelics they make you take a different pathway to the same you know you start asking different questions rather than getting different answers if that makes any sense um you're you're getting different answers because you're asking different questions you're not asking the same question and going crazy like oh why can't we make this work or i don't know whatever the issue seems to be yeah it's interesting so in terms of mm. yeah I, could I was going to say, in terms of my brothers, I just didn't want to tell them, like, you should do this because I'm better than you. Therefore, you need to do what I do. Because that mm. doesn't make any sense for me either. If they want to, like I said, it would be thrilling for me. But, it, you know, they haven't asked and I'm not going to push it on them. I've shared that it's been a positive influence on me. And that's, you know, they're making their choices. Interesting. Well, look, I appreciate you sharing that with us, Johnny. And well, I'm, I'm sure curious thing. to see if other people have that kind of sensibility in the chat. Do they think, you know, do you, do you feel like, I mean, this is, it's kind of like a difficult, it's a difficult position to take in some ways. The idea that the more hardship you've experienced in youth or the more that you've struggled in your life, the more useful drugs are to you. If at the same time, Dr. Hart is saying that certain kinds of, um, 
you know, having cult, you know, social deficits, not having as much support, having mental health issues or depression, things like that are predictors for having a bad experience with drugs insofar as they're predictors for addiction. It's like a weird, do you see what, do you see what I'm saying, Johnny? Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of where it's, all it's like a danger, stuff- it's a danger zone. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, it just, it, it's how it all ties in because it, I was lucky enough in Britain. That's where I'm very privileged. I grew up in Maine and I got to go to a nature conservatory where there's like nobody ever coming around. You're just sitting next to the ocean with a forest behind you and with your best friend ever. So it was like, it couldn't have been a better setting for me. And that's where it's like, don't take mushrooms at a party. Just don't do it. It's not a social thing. Like having too much cannabis at a party is not a social thing because if you have too much cannabis it turns into a psychedelic experience you're it's like a mild trip that you're having and so you know acting weird and just kind of like people get shook up from having too much weed and that's where matthew the previous caller was saying about edibles where it's the dosage you have to really trust the dosage and sometimes you metabolize it different than other people so they might not feel much and you might feel way too much you might be fucked up for days and Mm. that's where having Uh, you know, maybe not regulation, but information. And, you know, I love how Dr. Carl Hart talks about having testing centers. And that's Mm -hmm. another thing is like, I've, I've taken really bad drugs before, but I've also taken very good drugs before. And I've known that because you can buy reagent test kits and it's not nearly as effective as like if there was a clinic where you could just get this tested and say, Hey, does this have fentanyl in it or does it not? Because most of these opioid overdoses are coming from what it's cut with and not from the heroin itself. Yeah, for sure. And that, by the way, has been one of the kind of warnings from my mom's perspective also has always been, because also she has worked with, you know, she worked for the UN for 17 years doing, you know, psychosocial support for staff members, including, you know, the kind of issues that come up with staff family living abroad, which is a lot of, you know, kids and, and sometimes staff members dealing with addiction issues. And in particular, she's, you know, she's worked with the security department and there were a lot of, she got all the intel, all of the security reports about incidences of overdoses and things when we were living in New York. I think that was always her concern. My mom's been warned about fentanyl since as long as I can remember, since long before it became this kind of hot topic that it is today because she, you know, ground floor apartments and laced laced joints. This is my mother's two biggest bugaboos. So she was always talking about, Brianna, you can't live in a ground floor apartment and you can't be, be careful because even if you think you're smoking something innocuous, there could be, you know, fentanyl. But I appreciate you calling in, Johnny. You've given us a lot to think about. Certainly. Have a so great open. night. Of course. It's my pleasure. Thanks for the call-ins. Keep the faith. Keep the faith, Johnny. All right, Joel, what's on your mind this evening? Hey, Bree, how you doing? I'm doing all right. I, uh, so, yeah, I, I yeah, go ahead. I don't know if you remember, but I was the person who called in and asked you, do you smoke weed? Well, now I have my answer. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I was, was so glad like, you asked that because I was like, boy, oh, boy, do I have an episode for you. Yeah, it was perfect for me. Honestly, it made me think a lot because um, it just made me think about how like my image in my head of what you think when you think about somebody who does drugs mm-hmm. is like the druggie, the, the homeless person, um, the person. You're cutting in and out a little bit, Joel. Hello? Hello, I hear you. All right, I'm sorry. Uh, I was going to. 
Ooh, cutting out again. You were getting what? Out here on on the streets is on in New York is a homeless person, and that's usually mm. the person that you see who's on drugs. So in my head, that's the that's the perception that I have personally, and uh, I feel like this episode really opened my mind and made me think about how there's a lot more people who do drugs than just that, and like usually the people who are worse off and the reason people are getting addicted is because they're in poverty and because they're living in these brutal conditions. And I feel like that personally, and I think Carl Hart was making this point about how people who are in poverty and are in these horrible conditions are definitely going to be more likely to get addicted. And maybe that's why these addiction rates are so high. What do you Mm. think about that? Because we're experiencing higher rates of poverty. Yeah. So it, it ties in together because I'm telling you right now, a rich person who has a six-figure income and has a home and all these different amenities is definitely going to be a lot less likely to get addicted. And if they are addicted, they could definitely manage a lot, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that's part of why they're just, you know, there's this collection of things that are people are describing as diseases of despair, op- opioid addiction being one of them and, you know, high suicide rates and mm-hmm. perhaps, I don't know if diabetes is sometimes thrown in there, but there's a collection of things that happen to you disproportionately when you're poor um, and unhappy, you know, I mean, these things are all coming nesting together and, you know, when you don't have opportunity and you don't have the ability to go and, you know, make healthy meals or the time to do it, to be honest, because we all know that shit is time consuming and it's extremely easy and cheap to pick up. It's a couple of Popeye's apple pies. That's a thing that I think about in my waking hours. Um, you know, and it is frustrating to me. Back in 2018, when I was working at the Intercept, I offered that you know the, the the candidate, the presidential candidate in 2020, who could kind of own, or yeah, 2020, yeah, that could own like the idea, you know, own the opioid epidemic who could kind of own the solutions to it, who could show the most empathy for that part of the country would have a huge political advantage. And it seems like, you know, people just didn't want Trump regardless. And so they were going to give it to Biden, despite there not being much of a nod to that. But it still seems to me to be a real political opportunity to address that. I mean, there was a time in Hollywood that every other movie that came out was about somebody's kids struggling with opioid addiction it was something that seemed, was seemingly touching people almost even across class barriers. You had Steve Carell and like Julia Roberts starring as like the the petite bourgeois parents of kids with drug addiction issues. And that's how much it had permeated the zeitgeist. Even though obviously working class people had been struggling with it for a long time. And we still haven't gotten a politician who really even talks about it squarely or with any consistency. Yeah, and I, I and I think about all the shows too, like that I watched. Like Euphoria was one that you guys brought up. I've mm-hmm. seen that, and it's like that's your perception of what it is. And I've never thought I've never thought the question before, like, oh, maybe this is what they want us to think, because it kind of is really convenient for them for drugs to always be the problem, for drugs to always be the answer. And I've always thought about it in like sense of like the drug war and all that but not in my own personal perception of like what I think is people doing drugs. So I feel like this episode, this is like probably one of 
your most thought-provoking episodes, one of your best episodes, because uh, it really made me think. It made me think really, really hard about what my perceptions of drugs are and people who do drugs. And it, it was a little bit of a mind fuck, you know? Mm. We're, so, we're so conditioned to see people in this way, and we don't even realize it. Yeah. Look, I'm, I'm really glad to, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that. I, you know, you guys are the ones that recommended me having Dr. Hart on. And I'm so glad you did. And keep it coming, by the way. I got to confess to you guys, I've been a little off the ball this week. I'm blaming COVID. And one of my Friday interview options fell through. And I can't promise you that. I mean, I, I record on Fridays for Mondays. And I can't promise you that I'm going to be able to scramble <laughs> and come through. Because I have COVID. Give me a break. <laughs> I can't promise you I'm going to be able to scramble and come through with something uh, for Monday. We'll see what happens. But bring keep keep sending me suggestions. If you have also a suggestion for just like a, like a chill episode, you know, sometimes I call up Katie or T or Leslie or somebody if I'm like, I, don't, I can't find, you know, a a more like topic oriented guest and we just shoot the shit about whatever's been going on. So if you guys want that kind of episode too, and have a suggestion for who I should come on just to like talk with, I, I want to hear it because I'm at a loss right now. I'm about to curl up and go to sleep without a, a trouble in my mind and just going to show up on Monday and be like, sorry guys, it was COVID. <laughs> Unless I you guys come through for me. So go ahead. What's that Joel? I, I personally recommend Jesse Ventura. I feel like he's going to be big. Who, what, what, who do you guys think I am? You think I'm just going to call up Jesse Ventura? <laughs> you I mean, guys, he's been doing the wrong. I, I want to see recommendations for people who already follow me so I can just hop on the DMs. My mom's always like, you should have so-and-so and you should have so-and-so. I'm like, great. Are you going to be my producer? Do you have their number? Are you going to spend an entire day sending emails trying to track these people down? No? Okay, then suggest somebody who already follows me. <laughs> like Dr. Hart, thank goodness. So I can just DM them and we can get this set up very easily. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. But um, also, I also wanted to talk to you about, like, weed. And personally, I wanted to, like, try to convince you why I think if you're going to do any sort of drug, which personally, I don't like to recommend people to do drugs, because it's like, once you try it, once you have that feeling in your body, it's like, that's when, like, you want to go back. So as long as you never try it, you're never going to have that craving to go back to it. So I say just, if you've never tried drugs, don't try them to begin with. Uh, and I don't like to put people on, but Personally, weed, the reason I think it's the perfect startup drug is because the withdrawal effects are not really that significant. Um, it's a nice, calm, relaxing feeling. It's not too powerful. It's, it's nothing hardcore. And um, I feel like as long as you just try it once, it's not, a, it's not addictive. I hear that. And Lord knows I could use a little calmness in my life. And I know I hear everybody saying all the bad things about edibles. I, I'm just telling you right now, I'm not going to be smoking anything. That's just not a part of my journey. Yeah, I have also never tried a cigarette. That's just not going to be part of my journey. And mm-hmm. I, um, I feel like despite all the negative things people say about edibles, edibles are the drug that I've watched people consume in my presence the most. And they all seem mm-hmm. real happy with it. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if my friends just have good stuff or what, or they just have got it worked out or they know the brand that works for them or whatever, but they seem like real happy campers. It's not mm-hmm. like they're making like pop brownies or something where there's dosage issues and who knows what's in your bite or whatever. They yeah. they have like a little 
little looks like a little Tylenol bottle full of edibles, <laughs> little yeah. gummies. And so that would probably be it for me, unless I've heard very good things about mushrooms. Yeah, for sure. I've tried um, them. It doesn't yeah. do anything. So. <laughs> I will say that scene in um, Midsummer. Did you see Midsummer? No. <laughs> the horror movie from a few years ago. Well, it's it's a horror movie that's set in like Scandinavia somewhere during the summer. So it's basically light out all the time because you know how it is when you get really far up north. <clears throat> and there's a scene early in the movie where they do mushrooms and they all have a trip. And then the mo- movie takes a real kind of surreal, terrifying turn. And everything that's scary that happens in the movie happens while the sun is out and the flowers are blooming and it's very beautiful. Which makes me like it scared the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah, because it's like you can't escape. Like I remember seeing it, it was like 2019, and I came out of the theater down at Georgetown Waterfront, and it's like very pretty and pastoral. And we were lying on the grass with my then boyfriend, and I was like, actually, this grass and these flowers are too creepy. I can't handle it. So now I have this weird association between mushrooms and horror. I'm gonna have to yeah, work but- through that. <laughs> but again, that's the media right there. So like. That's like, per, again, perceptions being put out there in movies and stuff like that. It's not reality. So I don't, Fair and, enough. And also, in reality, we also hear, it's like we're always hearing the worst case scenario. We never hear the story of the person who did the drug and, like, did the drug once and was fine, never did it, had a good time, never did it again. Or we never hear the story of people who casually use it every once in a while. Mm. We always hear the extreme, hardcore people, the stories of the people who are who their entire lives got messed up and everything went wrong for them. And if you're talking about a movie or a TV show, I mean, that's what they want to do. It's the drama. You got to have something interesting going on, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Look, I appreciate you calling in. You're also reminding me that I need to take my zinc gummies. My mom sent me. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it will. But look, thank you, Joel. And I'm glad you called back in. And thank you for asking me that question during the last call in. All right. Thank you. Have a nice day. All right. Uh, Jonathan, that's a very, now in this context, psychedelic avatar you have, what's on your mind? Oh, it's very psychedelic. I love <laughs> psychedelics. And I am the guy who tried things once, like smoked and snorted meth each one time. And I uh, did Percocet and the set and shrooms and LSD. And I'm the only thing that was really the chink in my armor was diazepam. I, I didn't just want more. I like needed more. And thank God the person who gave it to me knew when to say no, you know, because that could have gone really bad. Can you that's, say, everybody's different, you know. Describe what, what do you mean when you say you needed more? So you did what? Is it like a? I'm sorry to be so well, um, rubbish, but it's like a pill. Yeah, the, the three heads of the dragon are amphetamines, opioids, and benzodiazepines, which is Xanax, clonazepam, lorazepam. Okay. Anything anything that ends in Pam is basically a benzo, and that's like. It's it's weird because with the other ones, you you know you're high. I did. I'm like, this is high, and now I'm having withdrawal, and I could just – but with benzos, it's different. It's so subtle. It's – it's I can't – you just feel good, tired, but good, and then when you don't have it, you just feel like you want to kill somebody or you want to die. I don't know. It's you, you need – I just needed it. And how long did it take for you to not feel that way anymore? I couldn't stop thinking about it for days, you know? Mm. Yeah, just but anyway, that that was just on my mind because of the last thing he said. What I really wanted to talk about was was philosophy, because when he comes up with 
when you did that example with the rats, mm-hmm. that reminded me of something from Hegel called determinate negation, which okay. is like a thing being defined by an absence, like mm. uh, like the Girl Scouts. Like every every classroom I've ever been in has had girls in it, but that's not what makes the like a boys club a boys club. It's defined by the absence mm-hmm. or or a union strike. What are you getting together and doing? It's really what you're getting together and not doing. Mm-hmm. The, the definition of the thing is what's missing. Mm-hmm. And vis-a-vis your rat example about how they'll dose themselves to death, except they won't if they have other shit to do, like a park full of toys and other rats. Mm-hmm. The, addiction, the addiction is an abscess. It's a void. And that's worth taking note of. And this is also tying back to what the last guy said. It's worth taking note of, though, because it flies in the face of the the narrative that says addiction is a disease. A disease is not an abscess. It's a it's a po- not a negative. It's a positive. It's a presence of a of like a virus, mm. right? And you could say that there's a pathology present. That, that, that there's neural patterns that lead you to compulsively participate in things. That's quote unquote present. But to the extent to which you want to understand where it came from or how to fix it, you need to understand it as the abyss. It's the, and what does Nietzsche say about the abyss? You look into the abyss and it stares back at you because it's, it's you. It's the emptiness of your life and capitalism of your, it's your loneliness. It's your over, being overworked. You got no time. You got no money. You got no future. And that it's a way of escaping that feeling and to the extent to which it is escapism. The solution of the, the cause is not any of the things that you were talking about. I'm not against those things, the, the TBS, whatever the acronym he was talking about. You want more rehab mm-hmm. centers. You want drug testing kits. You want no mandatory minimums. You know, like everybody else in this room, I think all of those things are great ideas. And I'm not here to say they're bad ideas. And I'm not even here to say they're quote unquote just distractions. But I am here to say that is so much symptom treating. The root cause, like the root cause of almost every other thing we talk about here, is where money comes from where it goes Hmm. yeah i I think that that's i think that's right it it was it was an interesting uh, interview for me because i found myself it's a weird place to say you ideologically believe that there should be people should have access to something in society that you personally have not chosen and aren't going to choose Cause it does feel a little like that's good enough for you, but not for me or something like that. Even though obviously intellectually, I know this is about systems and not individuals. And that's why I support legalization and all of these kinds of things. And then I was asking myself, well, Brianna, do not do drugs because they're illegal or do not do drugs because you're making choices. And I think it's, I think it's the latter because there's plenty of things that I did illegally, right? Like I drunk before I was 21 in college and, you know, my my parents let us drink at home a little because we grew up in, you know, on all those European kids. And mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I was also given wine. Like, in, in, there's less alcoholism in Spain where they're given yeah, you know, table for sure. wine at lunch when they're 16 years old. But they have a relationship with alcohol by the time they go to university, right. say. Whereas I go to Iowa State University in 2002 when I'm 18-year-old. And there are people throwing up on my porch every goddamn Friday night yeah. in football season because they do not have a respectful relationship with alcohol. Yeah, I would and go to my Estonian friend's house in high school or my 
Dutch friend's house in high school and their parents would be there and they would serve us like there would be wine and beer and all of our parents knew that there was and not a single person ever got drunk. We would like leave half a glass and just bounce like it just wasn't about that. Because he yeah, wants to be drunk in front of Nora's mom. I also find it super <laughs> annoying that I don't have many, or have to be honest now, I don't have any friends who I can hang out with sober anymore. They are also like that. Like they're searching for it. And if they're not, they're chain smoking. I'm like, whatever happened to just not doing that? And I'm, I'm a lover of drugs. But like I, am, I tell everybody, including all my 20 nieces and nephews, that if sobriety is not the trampoline off of which you're jumping every day, you are, your brain isn't human anymore you're captive you're captive of something else Mm. like you're not using the whole thing because you're you're surrendering part of it to this artificial synapse manipulation and you can use drugs to open up the whole thing and and shake your brain up like an etch-a-sketch to get out of patterns did you know like psychedelic mushrooms have like a 30 40 percent chance of curing your addiction if you do it with intent Mm. that's not a that's not perfect you know but it's th- compare it to AA, which mm-hmm. has a 12, 12, 15% chance of people getting off it and staying off it. So that's like two, three times uh, how good AA is. If people are trying to that's quit amazing. smoking and whipping it. Yeah. I mean, 40%, like I said, it's no guarantee. I mean, that's, but it's so much better it's, than AA. That's something. Well, have you watched the Michael? I feel like I saw that stat said in the previews for the Michael Pollan doc. Have you watched it yet? No. There's He's got this new one on Netflix that's been haranguing me to watch i'll tell you this is how suggestible i am i will watch basically whatever any of these apps tell me to watch at the top of the screen which is why i know i shouldn't do drugs because i am extremely persuadable <laughs> well i think you should do a little like if like well, I, I love pot and everything but the edibles like if you're gonna microdose something in a brownie do mushrooms because uh-huh. it's easier to microdose than lsd lsd is almost impossible to microdose because you're using an eyedropper to put little individual drops on something. It's so hard to get exactly how you want it. But if you get a batch of mushrooms that you know where it came from and somebody has done it before, then you know how many grams you need to grind into dust and put over so much cookie batter or whatever. It's not that difficult. Does it taste good? Like, I don't know that I want a mushroom (laughs) in my brownie. No, Do I chop it up? Is it, it powdered? Like cardboard. People will try to hide it in peanut butter and chocolate. It's it's not about that. Think of it as eating cardboard. That's what you're doing. It's not good in a culinary sense. That's not the point. Well, what's her name? How to show? Um, what's her name? Chelsea Handler. Wait, sorry, I dropped my phone. My bad. My bad. My bad. My bad. Sorry. It's okay. Handler had a. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, I can hear you. Chelsea Handler had a show where on Netflix in the last five, four years where she had like these dinner parties where like very good chefs made pot meals and they made sure to dose the whole thing perfectly, you know, assuming that everyone was going to have the full course meal, you know, put just enough in every meal. So it was like, they were all on a journey, a a journey together through the dinner. And it was also apparently very delicious and paired well with whatever substances there were in there. I'm not that much of a culinary genius. I can do something like that. But I'm just telling you that you can make tea with psychedelic mushrooms, just hot tea, and it's easy on your stomach. So, you know, it takes a little bit more product to get the same effect. But if you're nervous about it and you want to stay hydrated, which is a good idea anyway, go with hot tea, you know. Mm. It has a little, it's earthy, you know. Mm. Like I said, that's not really the point. 
Interesting. All right, Jonathan, you're giving me something to think about. Yeah, ter- <laughs> determinate negation, Hegel. Determinate negation. Yeah, remember for... in uh, Alice in Wonderland when it was somebody who said, uh, "If I had a world of my own, nothing would be what it, nothing would make sense because everything would be what it isn't." Yeah, but Alice story. also said, "I give myself." Very good advice, but I very seldom follow it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Jonathan. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) All right, Day. I should leave the Vogel stylings to Day here. If you guys don't know, you should go look at his Instagram because he's got some pipes. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, Yeah, what's on your mind? It's been a while since we chatted. It has been too long. Bree. I'm going to be honest. I feel like I'm not going to read the chats if y'all want to come at me. I promise y'all won't see it, but have fun. Get it out. This episode stressed me. I think this is probably the most stressful episode. uh, Sans, that Jewish lady who we don't want to give any free pub to. um, (laughs) Disconnect. I wasn't going to do it, but you know. Um, So I want to start with like my public stance so that people can at least give me that credit before I talk about my private. So I think... (laughs) The, I saw Dr. Carl Hart on, I saw he was on the Crystal Kyle and Friends episode and I actually didn't watch it because I know that Crystal and Kyle both have an affinity towards recreational drug use, which I don't necessarily share, but I decided to watch you, to listen to yours because like me, you also haven't done drugs. Um, the only difference is I don't drink either, but so I was like, cool, I'll listen to Brie because she'll say the things that I say. So I thank you for that first and foremost. <laughs> but I think from a public standpoint, I definitely agree with legalizing everything, making sure it's regulated, safe injection sites, all of the things. Because in my opinion, unlike other people who like are so anti-recreational drug, they're like banned at all. I personally still find value in the lives of people who do things that I don't necessarily agree with. So to me, it's super important to make sure that they're able to do those things safely and not, be, not die, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think from a personal standpoint, though, I have, it's a little different for me because I'm dealing with a family member right now who's caught in the crosshairs of the war on drugs when it comes to the legality of things, but also mm. the mental health side of things. So his, his decision to start using certain drugs recreationally, unfortunately, triggered his uh, schizophrenia and bipolar disorder. Mm. And mm. it's been, so to go from that to other drugs or to it's now getting you in legal trouble because you can't. You're not taking care of yourself, but you think the drugs will make you feel better. Mm-hmm. It's become, I see it from a different perspective, I guess. And I will even concede the fact that I do believe that there is a small percentage of the world who's people who just will do drugs, no matter how much we change the conditions of our life. Um, I just, I mean, I get that. I respect it. And that's why I believe in the safety for those people who want to do it. But I do challenge the concept that people absent like if we did take, if we gave people a reason to feel, wake up and feel good about life, which we don't, and I feel like it's getting worse and worse and worse, I'm not shocked by our drug use because I have access because I'm fortunate enough to have access to mental health issues, or mental health care or things of that nature. Like when the guy talked about the PAMs, I laughed because in my, everybody knows my story with grief or if they're not, like my boyfriend was murdered last year. Like I, for the first time in my life, like it was spiraling out of control of my mental health. And I actually became really aware that I didn't want to use drugs because I knew that, like you, I'm kind of an addictive personality type. So I was like, I know what this will lead me to. Mm-hmm. But they put me on something like a resident or something like that. And it's funny because it didn't do anything for me. 
Um, mm. But, and it was kind of weird because they kept putting me on these drugs that they were like, these are like tranquilizers. They should do this, they should do that. And I was like, it's not working. So that actually made me more frightened because it let me know that what would work for me would have to be really, really strong. Mm. Um, but I guess the crux of my issue with Dr. Hart in this whole episode was this whole idea that like, you're not free or, you know, you're not free or you're not really experiencing joy if you're not taking these substances. And that just kind of frustrated me because I was just like, mm. to me, it's like saying, oh, you don't enjoy sex if you're not having threesomes in a sex dungeon doing BDSM and getting fisted. <laughs> like, it just didn't make sense to me. So, like, when you said the whole port, like, I thought his whole plane analogy was, like, a terrible straw man. And I was glad you pushed back on that. But I was like, honestly, I felt like you were more correct about using safety of an airplane because I was like, well, it's always 100% safe if you're sober versus taking a risk. So I'm like, to look at a population of people and say, ah, 20% 20 of people will get addicted. Yeah, those numbers were, I was like, is it just me? Because those numbers, like, and and look, the numbers were high for alcohol too, which isn't a reason to make alcohol illegal. So, So this isn't about, we all know what our public stances are for other, you know, for the general public in terms of wanting things to be legal and not have the world on drugs and stuff like that. But the fact that those numbers are so high made me think, oh, I'm glad I, I have these rules about myself for alcohol. <laughs> like, And yeah. I certainly don't want to be trying something that has like a 20% chance, a 15% chance. If you told me addiction is no joke, you tell me I have a 10% chance. I need that number to be down around like a fraction of a percent before I'm comfortable. <laughs> Put it in my toe into some of those waters. I 100% agree. And I think that that's why I looked at it like, eh, because at the end of the day, I like, for example, like I am consistent. Like I, I don't do alcohol and stuff either. So it's like my stance on all of it is consistent, but and I recognize, yes, alcohol causes more death and blah, blah, blah. I'm not trying to shoo that away. And I recognize that, you know, people have different things that become their issue. But I was just like, Dr. Carl, I'd rather you just say you like drugs. Like, don't try to minimize the experience of people who opt to be sober. Like, my life isn't boring, in my opinion. Like, and personally, my goal isn't to live a life where I need to feel like I have to escape from it. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. to me, I'm like, external happiness is limited like Mm -hmm. always going to be limited. And I know some people might argue, well, that's how your spirituality is. And I was like, well, I don't view spirituality as an external experience. For me, it's a very internal experience, Mm -hmm. similar to maybe how some people argue their drug trips are. And I was like, I never would, growing up, I just never wanted my happiness or my ability to be uninhibited or my ability to talk to someone to be contingent on something else. Because for me, at least, that always seemed like the baseline of getting to an addictive situation potentially or succumbing to what I would consider quote unquote my weaknesses instead of figuring out a way to build that strength or have those to work through those things without it and I think like the guy who was talking about you know his parents and I and he said you know you had a really good childhood I was fortunate to have that despite my issues and I actually completely was empathetic and sympathetic to his situation but to me that actually highlighted why we need things like a great social safety net. We need mental health services, wraparound services for children. That's why I advocate with Marianne mm-hmm. about Department of Children and Youth, because I do think a lot of our world is effed up. And the fact that we're all like trying to find something is a natural reaction to how void and vapid there's not much to be hopeful for when you just look at climate is changing. They're taking away our rights. Like you might as well get high. Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. why else? But that's kind of my rant on that. Um, 
Yeah, Jay, that's all that resonates with me a lot too. Look, it's I I, I agree. It it feels I'm struggling because it does feel kind of like like I feel like some like annoying kid from a a movie about like cheer camp or you know Bible <laughs> camp or something something like that where I'm like I don't need drugs to feel good. Like I don't want to sound like that. <laughs> I've heard it all. So I get it. Trust me. But but I'm not, I know what I'm saying about you, Day. I'm just saying like when I I had the instinct to say things like that when like when I was talking to Dr. Hart, and I was really wrestling with it because I know that it is. It is I think it was I don't know if his name was Jonathan earlier, but it it is contingent to his point about your you know kind of what you've gone through in some ways, yeah. but also with this, a great deal. But I, I also was reflecting on how I've been very different people at different stages of my life. And mm-hmm. I have been an extremely shy person who, mm-hmm. what you know, got the notes on the report card. That, you know, she's a good student, but why doesn't she talk in class? And honestly, it wasn't until probably the last year of law school that I really even started speaking up. So I'm like 25 wow. years old at this point. And that kind of timidity extended to my romantic relationships and my social relationships as well. People who know me from college, apart from my actual close friends, I think are very surprised with who I am now in the public sphere and who I am at reunions and things like that. And I bring that up to say that the the desire to be less inhibited, I did feel at one point very strongly in my life. Mm-hmm. And what changed for me, it sounds like it sounds this is so not helpful, what I'm about to say. <laughs> But I remember I, I had a boyfriend from uh, sophomore year of college through freshman uh, one L year of law, uh, law school, and when he broke up with me this summer between my one L and two L years, I remember feeling all this sense of frustration that there were all these things I didn't do in relationships I didn't form my one L year. Not to mention in college activities I didn't pursue, academic yeah, yeah. things I didn't pursue, <laughs> and I just was like I was so angry about it, but I was like fuck it. And I, I like left my, you know, the school year started and I immediately went and signed up for everything. I joined, you know, the black students organization. I did all of this stuff that I hadn't signed up for my one all year. And I was very afraid of doing, to be honest. Um, I was extremely trepidatious about what the black kids were going to say after I had been like an incognito one all year. But the black kids in law school were actually mad cool, unlike some of them trifling people from college. And, and it was like completely fine. And every time I tried something new, and was validated in the experience, I realized, I don't know, like I just realized that like I was just punishing myself. <laughs> like my shyness was just punishing myself. And that if yeah. I were, I, it was true what they were saying. Like if you go out there and you are yourself, then people will like you. And I know that sounds so trite, but that experience that I had, I I learned through it and I grew capacities through it. And I do, there is a part of me that worries like, Taking a, I don't want to use the word shortcut because that seems like I'm being diminishing That's or something. What but, I'm thinking, though, so. <laughs> but you know, like to 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 short circuit that, I would not potentially have developed the capacities to do that on my own, yeah. and in a more consistent way. Resilience, yeah. resilience, yes. And and some people look. I have also worked with brilliant, wonderful people who I consider to be my friends. You know, who had public faith. You know, legal jobs with a lot of stress, where they had to like argue in court. Or, you know, and they had crippling anxiety and they took they took anti-anxiety medications and, and other kind of self-prescriptions regularly to get through their jobs. And you never would have known it. And I also understand that, like, 
you can't just clap your snap your fingers and decide to rise above. That's not how it works. Absolutely. But there is, I don't know. Like I do think that for some people they're better off not doing it. And so for some people it is the boost that is necessary and needed. And it's difficult to know what you are unless you give it a Girl Scout try first or something. I don't know. I don't know what lesson I'm trying to pull from this, but I have, I do have mixed feelings here. But I like what you said because it kind of goes to my mentality. If I could off the cuff draft how I would want things done. Like case in point, I'm telling all my business, that's fine. I've never had to take like medication for my depression, anxiety, et cetera. But mm. given the severity of it, I have now because I'm not sleeping, I have insomnia now and I can't sleep. So mm. like what I love most about what my doctor said though, she said, this is, this is like you broke your leg and you need crutches. She says, I don't want you to walk with crutches for the rest of your life, mm. but I do want you to feel supported so you can heal. And I look at I would look at drugs as a very mental health thing. Like there are people that like the psilocybin with the people with PTSD, et cetera. I'm all for it. And I want people to get stable because when you feel like you're underwater and the surface is too far, you can just sink further and further and further. But I think I would want it. The drug uses to be under like a managed situation. So I guess that's why I'm not necessarily a recreational fan. Um, But I definitely can see the benefit of using certain things under supervision to heal and to get to a yeah. place where maybe you don't feel some of those other things, but which I think yeah. maybe correlates with what you were saying. Yeah, I think, I think so. I think so. Day. I've missed you. I hope you call back in again soon. I definitely will. I appreciate you for this time. Thank you so much. All right. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Jason, unmute yourself and let us know what's in your mind. You with us, Jason? Jason going once, Jason going twice. All right, Cynthia, you're up. Long time no chat with you as well. How have you been? Oh, damn, Jason. I have to, like, stop tweezing my eyebrows and get get ready. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I know. I've been MIA, and I'm sorry. I'm so behind on your pods. I used to be, like, single white femaleing you. And, like, every time a pod dropped, I was like, I'm listening. What does she have to say? I want to be her. Um. No need to apologize, Cynthia. The world is crazy, and we've all got a lot on our plates. But what's on your mind this evening? Woof. Okay. So, well, I'm, I was happy to see uh, Dr. Carl Hart because I got his book. I haven't read it yet. Mm-hmm. But, um you know, I feel like my mind changed ever since. Do you ever have like a thing, like something you've read or experienced that you you didn't necessarily like think it was so impactful at the time? And then years later, you like remember it and you're like, oh, I guess it really resonated with me on some really deep level. Hmm. Um, I remember like my freshman year ethics class, we had to like go over, you know, there was like a topic at hand, like abortion. And then there was read this essay for this person who's pro read this essay for this person who's against. And I remember there was a, um, the topic of drug legalization. And I I remember that really stuck with me, someone arguing that we should legalize all drugs. And it was like, uh, hear me out, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and I remember being, and this is like what, like 2007 or whatever at the time. And Mm -hmm. I remember being like, oh my God, like every drug legalized, you know, Mm -hmm. but after listening to Dr. Carl Hart too, like it makes, it makes so much sense to me because I come back to this idea of like big nanny government, like should the government be, should it, should it be the government's job to, you know, regulate what we put in our bodies and like how we change our own consciousness. 
And I always come to like, no matter what drug it is or no matter what substance it is. And obviously with alcohol, I always bring that up in the argument in terms of like the hypocrisy. Right. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, and I think, no, but then I do, I do kind of concede to some of the ideas of like, well, obviously, you know, if people can be extremely inebriated or extremely out of it and they could harm others or they could harm themselves. But I, I again, just keep coming back to the point of like, well, but isn't it their prerogative should they want to harm themselves? Like, I know that's dark, but you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, is it, mm-hmm. is it the government's job or right to say that like, no, we should oversee how you change your conf- co- you know, consciousness and or potentially harm yourself? I mean, look, there's an argument. I mean, people, states have been making arguments to allow a physician assisted suicide. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's might seem like a little bit of a leap, but right, right, right. The, the extreme version is, do you have the right to die? Should yeah. the government be forced to keep forcing you to stay alive? A conservative, right. gov- the conservative federal government seems to think that they should and have fought right. it in all these states all over the place. Yeah. And so I'm not, and I apologize if you kind of covered this on the episode of, in terms of like how, you know, I mean, the kind of like deep racism, you know, all the stuff that kind of goes into the drug war and how these things became illegal in the first place. But I would definitely recommend the, uh, the Michael Pollan doc. I just watched that on mm-hmm. Sunday. And what I love kind of per day's argument, um, cause I kind of feel the same way. I am a, I don't like this term. I'm a user. I'm, I'm someone who had <laughs> used different substances, but I feel extremely lucky in that I don't have, I feel like it's all, it's not the thing. It's your relationship to the thing. And it's also your intent, like your state of consciousness and your intent going into the thing. So for me, like drugs and alcohol, I, and again, I'm, I know this is like maybe super annoying to, you know, a lot of people who it's a struggle for them. Trust me. I have other areas of my life where it's like, (laughs) you know, I'm really bad with money. I'm really bad with shopping, really bad with food, you know, but Mm. like for some reason, drugs and alcohol, it's like, I must've had a past life where I was like a junkie because I am so balanced with it. And I don't know how or why, but like my state of consciousness is always like curiosity Mm. and fun in terms of the recreational aspect of it. So like, I always know my limit, you know, I always know that, that limit where I'm like, ah, if I go over this, this is, I got to stay right here on this wave. You know, like this mm-hmm. is the good zone. Um, and I've obviously gone past that a little bit sometimes. And I'm like, this is too dark. This is too scary. I have to go back. Mm. So it, I do think it is about intent. And I do think it is about wherever you're at. And I, I don't, I, I also, per what Day was saying, I also am, you know, spiritual and I don't I don't think it's healthy to have this kind of relationship where you feel like you need it or you have to do it um, like every day. But, you know, everyone is different. Um, But I do think maybe we're kind of in that stage right now in society where like we're kind of balancing ourselves out. Like we had this, you know, extreme like drug war of it all and this crackdown. And now we're kind of like incrementally finding our way back to like making it not so bad and, you know, maybe in the, I don't know, the trail of that, uh, some people will be a little imbalanced, you know, and that's just kind of like the way it is. Yeah. It goes back to that question I was asking before is like, do I do not do drugs? Those are illegal or because I'm making choices. Mm -hmm. And I do think a lot of people would, I don't, I don't know that it's, 
I don't know. I don't know how many people would run out and suddenly start saying, let me try heroin if it became illegal illegal tomorrow. I think that there are more people who would say, okay, let me just go buy some weed if it became legal tomorrow because – uh, some uh, for a lot of people, I think it's just the hassle of getting it that prohibits right. them, as opposed to the idea that they're going to get caught or it's going to be legal. People right. don't want to find themselves in seedy situations, like an earlier caller was describing, where he was in the back of the car with adult men when he was yeah. a teenager. And you know, for a woman, it's even more fraught. Mm-hmm. Um, and honestly, when I was you were talking, I was thinking about the reasons why I haven't. You know, I never really even drunk to excess. I remember the first time I vomited from alcohol, I was in law school. And it's because my friend, we were celebrating her taking the MCATs. I mean, it just really wasn't a party. It was it was doing shots at a bar with my friend who had just taken the MCATs. And, like, I made the rookie mistake of doing, like, a shot of bourbon and then, like, a shot of vodka and then, like, a shot of tequila. Oh. <laughs> like, like, a shot of bourbon? Why, Brianna? Like, no. what are you doing? You're being 23. That's what you're doing. But it's fine. The, the point is um, – like I never, cause the reason I never really drank to excess, it's not because I'm like above it all, but I was always scared. Like yeah. I was scared of being, yeah. how am I going to get home? Am I going to be, you know, made vulnerable to men in sexual situations? Mm-hmm. Am I like, I was always hyper vigilant about like the scenario and in law school, the only times I really used to get, like I used to drink a lot. We used to have at these house parties cause I lived with seven other law students mm-hmm. and I was like, okay, it's a party in my house with all my friends around. Risks are low. I'm I'm going balls to the wall. I can crawl home to my room down the hall if I really need to. But other than that, I, I just chose not to because of all the attendant risks, not because of illegal illegality versus legality, not because of like any stigma about the actual substance or not, not because I thought there were as any risk of addiction or me even like having alcohol poisoning or anything, but but this other stuff. Right. And so, I don't know. I think that there's something there's something to that. And if you really ask people, I, I would be curious to see if there were a poll or something like, if drugs were legal, are you gonna what, run out and get some cocaine? Maybe, right. maybe cocaine. Like yeah. I think that's something that's not that scary to a lot of people. I I mean, I it's funny that this having this conversation because I literally well, I was like kind of like first of all the midsomar. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious um i would but i was also kind of like i mean yeah in the michael pollan doc it's really great how they talk about like the messaging that we received especially as like i mean you know we're very similar in age like growing up with dare growing up with like you know this is your brain on drugs and like i was always afraid of like lsd and psychedelic Mm -hmm. oh they really scared us about lsd i really thought if i like touched one of the pieces of paper with lsd on it it was gonna (laughs) scramble my brain up forever yeah, I was always afraid of that because I was like, I'm going to have a bad trip and it's going to be scary. And I remember the like first time I did mushrooms and I was like, oh, this isn't bad. Like, it's not that bad. I mean, I could see how it can go again intent, Right. And like you're like, I, I, I forgot who it was in the call in, but who said, don't do it at like a party or a bar. It's so true. Like, I really feel like psychedelics are go out, be outside, like make it more this is the other part of the, the doc um, when they did the section on peyote was just talking about how native Americans, it's like a ceremony, you know, mm-hmm. it, it kind of use it as a ceremonial thing. And I'm not necessarily just against like, I have mushrooms with my friend this weekend. It was so fun and funny, but I also kind of think that we should have more of a sacred relationship with drugs and we should have more of a, you know, utilizing them as like, again, not everything has to be this like huge ceremony, but utilizing these things as like 
treats, you know, like they're special, like to make them special and to have it as like, if you're going to do it recreationally, to have it and treat it as like a special kind of ceremonial kind of thing such that you're not just like, you know, appreciating it, but you're also mm. appreciating those that you're with and appreciating your body more, you know, because I, th- I think it's just all about like the relationship to the thing. Yeah. And it also has some built in safeguards there. If you're doing it as a community exactly. practice and only for certain occasions, then your likelihood of developing a problematic relationship with it are, are lower, which is also why I justify you know, these $15, $16 cocktails in cities like New York and D.C. Uh, because who could be an alcoholic when you have to pay $16 for a Manhattan? <laughs> and I don't know. I forgot who was in the chat, but they were, like, calling you out for getting a, a tequila soda and lime. That is, like, the best drink. Yeah, what is this person's problem? Actually, let me let me evangelize for a second since everyone's going to sit here and tell me about drugs. Let me tell you a little some wisdom that I've learned in my 37 years. First of all, I can't believe I've never done this on the podcast before because everyone in my life knows that I feel very strongly about tequila, soda, and lime. That's the best. Here's why. Mm-hmm. Tequila gets a bad rap. It's, it's, it's the best. It's the cleanest. I mean, vodka's probably technically cleaner, but as far as I'm concerned, it's the cleanest alcohol because mm-hmm. there's three chemical attributes of tequila that are a, a wonderful. One, tequila is the only alcohol that's a stimulant rather than a depressant. If you drink exclusively tequila, don't blame your bad night out on tequila because you decided to do a shot of a bunch of different things and a slippery nipple and then you had a beer and all of that. That's on you. That wasn't tequila's fault. That was your bad decisions. Tequila is a queen and she would never hurt you. The point, the thing about tequila is that you, if you drink exclusively tequila, don't mix it with Diet Coke or juice or whatever the heck nonsense you have going on. If you drink exclusively tequila and water the entire night, you will not get sleepy and your pictures won't get you uglier and uglier and droopier and droopier over the night like all of your friends. You will stay looking fresh and you will be perky and alert. You will feel inebriated and low inhibition and happy, but you will be alert. Two, it is a probiotic. So the next morning you will also treat yourself to a healthy movement. And three, <laughs> um, what is the third one? Probiotic. Stimulant rather than suppressant. Oh, there's no hangover. Yeah, it's not as bad. It's it, I don't know what I I I wholeheartedly concur. I like I'm like for years I was like why haven't I bit like tequila soda and lime? I'm like the same too because it's also not as like sugary and no sugar. It's the sugar that messes you up the next day. Now here's what I will say with respect to preparation. I also recommend a not shitty tequila within your means. Yeah. I know it's hard out there. I get it. But when we're talking about special relationships and all of that, during the campaign, remember that day that I accidentally said that Michael Bloomberg had a heart attack and that I got in big trouble? (laughs) My colleagues um, bought me a bottle of uh, Casamigos. And at the time, I did not realize it was George Clooney's tequila. I I did not know it was George Clooney's brand. His name is not prominent on the bottle. However, it has subsequently become my go-to tequila. I confess. I'm sorry. It's good. I like it. Whatever. Tenors, tequila. <laughs> I, I have, I've only tried that at a margarita spot near my house. I tried it like, but I can't taste it. I mean, it just tastes like whatever. Mm. But, um, okay. Take a shot at this tequila in a, um, I don't like a, like a, like a, like a cocktail glass, like not like a highball glass. I don't like a highball glass. I like a, like a whiskey glass, like something with those proportions, like a short juice glass kind of a thing, short and wide. Put some ice down in there. Put your shot of tequila down in there. 
cut at least half a lime, one whole lime if you're knee deep in lines and, li- and live in live in large. But if you're at a party and you only have limited limes or you're hosting people and you only have the bag of limes, half a lime is more than sufficient. And then pour a good sparkling water. Something with a lot of bubbles. Don't like not all sparkling waters are named the same, made the same. There's a German brand called Gerschenschiss or something like that. I don't know what it's called, but it's an aesthetic clear bottle and I like it. It's a dollar. It's not expensive or anything, but it's very bubbly. Okay. And pour that on top. Now, if you've done your proportions right, you should get like a bubbly fizz on the top. That almost looks almost like foamy, like creamy almost. And when you drink it, it should taste almost sweet. Like there's something in there, like agave, other than just the tequila, soda, and lime. Wow. This is a very, like, this is a science. It I, is. Now I want to know what the, the sparkling water is. It's called, I don't even know that it's German, to be honest. It just looks like a German word to me. I don't know. I don't want to tell you. <laughs> Gelchenschleiter. Geltenfilzer. Something with the G. They have it at Trader Joe's. I don't know what to tell you guys. Okay. Right. Is that, and I would, I know everyone's like, try this, try it. Obviously you don't have to do anything, but I would say as someone who, you know, is really, um, who doesn't like it to, who doesn't like to get, you know, out of my mind. I always feel like the perfect, like, is like a little bit of wine and like maybe half of an edible or like maybe for you, like a quarter. Like that's like interesting. Good, that I always do like, and then what sounds the- like a headache to me, <laughs> like an instant headache okay. with your tequila. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Don't listen to me, but I'm just saying for me, um, you know, if you're like, if you're intrigued and you're curious, that's always kind of like, that's a good wave for me in terms of like a decent wavy, good feeling out with friends, you know, but like, I res- look, I respect that. I do feel a little wine. I don't drink when I want to have a good time. I'm drinking it with dinner and then I'm going to go home and go to sleep. Like I know. I'm tired too. I get, that's why tequila. I know you're right. I, th- exactly. I don't know whose person was in the chat. I don't know what they're thinking, but like. They tequila's act- it. Like, <laughs> I, I know you had some bad time in college or whatever with tequila and woo-woo girls or whatever, but like, that's not tequila's fault. That was the orange juice or whatever crap you mixed with it because yeah. you were 18 and didn't know better. Also, shout out to the person who says that the water is Gerald Steiner, Gerald Steiner. That's a hundred percent correct. Oh, I got to take note. Okay. Well, okay, great. Definitely watch the doc, everyone. It's good. And I, I mean, this weekend I really wanted to do like a mushroom ceremony, you know, to like get my life together and be like, guide me. But like, I'm kind of scared. I'm kind of afraid to do them alone, you know? So if anyone has any like thoughts on that, I feel like a microdose or something. I don't know. Oh, I thought you were looking for partners. I was like, okay, Cynthia's out here. Tell us well, your city and state, Cynthia. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I, I don't know. is kind of freaking me out as a late. Gotta be honest. Everyone, everyone usually has been like really great, but there's been some dark corners that I've unfortunately traveled into. So oh dear. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll give Cynthia some advice in the chat about how to handle her mushroom trip and a report back to us next week. Yeah. A ceremonious, like single mushroom trip to like, you know, as Kanye would say, find God and like figure <laughs> my life path. Um, I, I see d- days like cringing somewhere. LOL. You know, like that's always kind of my thing is like, maybe just try off a little, maybe just eat half an edible and see how you feel. You know, I'm not using it as a prescription for you. I'm just saying <laughs> that would have been a good name for the episode of prescriptions for Brie. Well, look, thank you for calling in Cynthia. It's good to hear from you again.
Oh, wait. And one more thing. Cause I, on the other, the other night when you were talking about Oprah, I was like, you should have a show, like a show show. If you ever do this lefty network thing that is literally called good faith mm. where you could do those kind of breakdown, you know, really thorough breakdown things that you were talking about with regard to, um, Kim and, you know, Esperanza, mm -hmm. because I just wanted to say that like Oprah, you have that, you have that, um, power that you have that like intuitive sense of kind of knowing how everyone's reacting and feeling to whatever someone just said and being able to tap in and like ask the question that maybe ever is on everyone's mind. So I'm just throwing that out there. You are Oprah. <laughs> well, look, that's very kind of you to say. And if someone who has Oprah money wants to throw it my way to produce a whole show with a, with yeah. a set and an audience and, and all of those things, there's nothing more than I would like to do. In lieu of that, let's just keep the campaign up for me to um, take over the Bill Maher show because that's the oh. set that I really want. <laughs> Thank you, Cynthia. You're welcome. Keep the faith, everyone. Keep, keep the faith. All right, Rebecca, unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind. Hello? Hey, Rebecca. Hey, awesome. Great to be talking to you again. Same here. What are you thinking about this evening? Um, well, I did have a little bit of advice for Cynthia on her, her solo mushroom trip. Okay. Um, I've done one of those before. And I think, like, for me, the key was, like, not to take too much, like, keep it chill, go out and like be in the middle of nature where you can like be alone and not run into people. Cause I felt like in my case, I didn't pick like a solitary enough spot. Mm. And I really just wanted to be like free and like goofy and like, you know, be able to like talk to myself without people thinking I was weird. So that, that would be my <laughs> suggestion. <laughs> okay. All right. I hope she's in, in the chat taking notes. Oh, I see her there. She says, oh, yes. Perfect. <laughs> okay. So uh, is, was there anything else on your mind this evening? Yes. Um, I was going to call and suggest that um, a, another good person that you could interview might be Dr. Gabor Mate, um, Aaron Mate's father. Yeah. People have suggested him in the past. Tell us why for those who don't know who he is. Um, he is a specialist on addiction um, and like has done a ton of research and like um therapy and like worked with you know the actual population of addicts um and the interviews that i've seen him do have been some of like the most like mind blowing and just like changing in my perception of addiction um that i've ever heard before um and i think like he really stresses that like anything can be an addiction um, if it's negatively impacting your life. Uh -huh. um, and I think that's really true. I think um, Twitter. <laughs> Twitter Call me out <laughs> for my Twitter addiction. <laughs> my phone telling me you've had 22 hours of screen time today. <laughs> uh -oh. <laughs> uh, JK, not quite that bad, but yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Honestly, though, we all appreciate you doing this call-in show while you have COVID. Like, that's above the call of duty, really. No, it's it's really fun. I mean, I do nothing else all day. <laughs> I mean, I've been, I haven't left my house since, like, last weekend. So maybe last Friday, Thursday was the last time I literally left my building. Today, I ordered food, and then delivery woman 
was like, can I leave it at the front desk? And I said, well, if you don't mind bringing it up, I have COVID and I'm trying not to leave my apartment. And she was like, Mm-mm, say no more. I got you, girl. <laughs> she came up here with so much enthusiasm. I was like, thank you so much, man. Let me just add a little extra on here for you. So, yeah, I literally haven't walked outside. So I'm starved for human companionship. The guy I'm dating sent me a, um, a Lego Vespa. Do you know these, like, adult <laughs> Lego sets? Um. It's like a Vespa that you make out of Legos? Yeah. It's like a whole thing. These adult Legos. And I just bought one for my brother for his birthday because, like, what else do you get people anymore? Like, we're adults. People have the things. So uh, we're buying each other toys now. Uh, and can I, I spent the last two days sitting here editing, listening to the podcast edits, you know, watching YouTube videos, catching up on is he uh, the one that got away, which is this truly terrible uh, Amazon reality show that you can guess what it's about from the name and putting together this Vespa, which I just completed moments before I started this call in and I'm looking at on my desk and it's the cutest thing. And I got to tell you, I feel guilty for enjoying COVID when obviously it's, you know, much more impactful for a lot of people who, you know, need the salaries and stuff that they're missing and have families to take care of and can't have their lives grind to a halt quite like mine has. But I got to tell you, this Lego thing is really great for my ADHD because I can, I can do lots of things at once, you know, like I'm doing a Lego set, I'm editing the podcast or I'm watching TV or I'm talking on the phone. I sometimes get very impatient with my friends and family on the phone. Like this is not engaging enough. And I, like, I spoke to my mom for like hours <laughs> happily because I was doing Legos. So I, I think I've, I've, un, I've unlocked another habit or another addiction maybe for myself. Um, but I think it's constructive. Yeah. A positive addiction. So that's what I was going to say is like, I think humans in general, like we all have that addictive personality. It's like part of our, like innate being that we want to become obsessed with things and like get better at things and master skills. Um, and I think like the key is that you want to get obsessed with things that are, are positive and not things that are negative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exercise people in the chat. I've seen, seen saying, Oh, Brianna's addictions are tequila-sitted with lime and running. And like, that's not really a lie. I haven't run since I got back from France. And I think that's part of why I got sick, to be honest. I can't prove it. It's not science. Don't quote me. Listen to the CDC or whatever. You know, don't because they're a little bit. But um, I have a theory that, like, getting hot – like, I've been running every single day almost since last January. And even if it's just, like, real quick, like, a one mile, like, you know, 10 minutes in the treadmill or whatever. And I think that that getting your body hot – this is not – this is going to sound like I'm an 18th century scientist talking about the humors or something. But I do think that, like, the way – same way you get a fever to kill the infection, like, making sure your body is super hot at least once a day is, like, a nice little reset. And I have – so I already wasn't running in France. I came home and, like, was busy that week playing catch-up and didn't run. And I obviously haven't run because I can't go to the gym and I don't want to get in the elevator um, since I've had COVID. And I feel like shit. <laughs> I hate it so much. It was the glue holding my life together. I, I feel it was something that made me feel purposeful every day, even if I didn't accomplish all my goals. It made me put on gym clothes and see myself in the mirror and to appreciate my body for what it was doing for me, even if I wasn't necessarily looking the ideal way that I wanted it to look. Like It made me see it as a functional thing as opposed to just an aesthetic thing. And it made me feel happy and good about myself. And I got to say, 
these pants I've been wearing for the last three days don't make me feel that way. <laughs> and I, I really do think that, you know, it, it can go into an unhealthy place, and I don't think I've ever really been there. I have, I have some friends who maybe exercise a little too much, I'm not going to lie. But I, I extremely value the serotonin from it and, like, how it just generally changes my view of myself. Strong recommend on that as well. I, no, I definitely agree. Um, and like, don't feel bad at all because I've been on um, a slump for like the past three months and haven't really been doing my exercises. And I definitely like, you know, I feel the difference. Like, it's just, it's, it's not like you look forward to the exercising, but it's like the way you feel afterwards. Mm-hmm. It's, at least for me, it's like, um, it's just mm-hmm. a really good and helps. Yeah. But yeah. like once you fall out of the habit, then you just like, it's like a continual, like vicious cycle. Yeah. And I, I, I'm not, I'm nobody's hero. I got to make the barriers to, to doing it so low. Years ago, by my first law firm, it was like not one of the top law firms. <laughs> so one of the incentives that they gave us, I mean, it was like, you know, top 100, but you know, coming from her, everybody else was like top 20. So I uh, hear I was down at, you know, Strook, Strook and Levan. And one of the incentives that they did give us was that they would pay or like pay for most of an Equinox subscription, which none of the other firms were doing. So I said, great, I'm going to pay for Equinox. And because it's so expensive and so fancy, I'm finally going to go to the gym. I did not go to the gym. That whole time I was at Strook, Strook and Levan, I probably went to that Equinox like twice. And they paid for most of it, but not all of it. And I was still paying a significant sum out of pocket. What I learned about myself over the years is that the barrier to me running has to be extremely low. I have to have a million pairs of workout pants and bras and socks so the excuse is never that it's dirty, like that I don't have clothes. I have to have it. If I have, can have a gym in my building, it like lowers the barrier in extreme amount. I bought all my workout pants to have like a pocket in them so I can always have a place for my phone without having to need like other accessories like phone bags and wrist holders for my phone and all these other kinds of things that get lost and I can't find them and they're an excuse for me not to run. And I have, have, have to have music, have to have music, literally cannot run for even a minute without music. It's just, it becomes too real how torturous the thing that you're doing is unless I'm like blasting Luther Vandross. So <sighs> I don't know why I'm like lecturing. Like <laughs> I'm now I'm sorry. Like I really do have a problem. Breathe tip. <laughs> oh lord i i sound like i really need to sit down with a therapist okay well thank you for exposing me there was one more thing i was gonna share uh-huh. um and i think um it's that i don't think i've ever been addicted to drugs in my life but there have been there was definitely a time in my life where i was abusing them mm-hmm. um and i think that it was related to my mental health and being in a really like shitty state and very depressed. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that helped me overcome that was actually mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Like I went to, I went on a camping trip with some friends and um, like we all did rooms together. And I had this like moment where I sort of like came to a realization about life um, where like I saw myself as a plant and I was like, mm-hmm. Um, every branch of myself was like a responsibility, you know, like one was like my job and one was my rent and one was my, my dog. And so I sort of realized that like, in order to grow, you have to take on more responsibility. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And it it really made me like change and turn around that 
time in my life and I stopped partying and like um, ended up like moving and like finding a new career path and now I'm a farmer. So it's just like, I mean, I won't say that like it never would have happened without that experience, but I think that experience really like pushed me to look at things in a new way and to like step outside of like who I am as a person and like my own ego and see myself more as like connected to the rest of the world. That is such a key insight because so often, I don't know, I I can be a little, I can be very risk averse. And, and even for me moving into this bigger apartment this year, I, I was afraid to do it because I didn't want to take on any extra financial burden given that I have this career that I have where nothing is certain. And it's like, there's no 401k and, you know, things are great now, but who knows how long this is going to last. And I, I just, when I did say, okay, you're going to move and this is going to motivate you to actually buck up and plan for your future and take on more jobs and maybe focus on your book and, you know, do other things. Getting in this space made me feel, I mean, taking on the extra responsibility was motivating. And I, I think learning to see those kinds of things as a requirement for growth, that's such a, that I, such a key insight. Whether or not yeah. I need mushrooms for it, it's a very <laughs> key, key insight. So thank you for calling in, Rebecca. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right, keep the faith. Joe, Joe, who with the avatar from the parking garage, 1B. How you doing? Unmute yourself and let us know what's on your mind this evening. Hi, Bree. I'm doing good. Yeah, you've been uh, talking about people's avatars tonight. Mine may not be psychedelic or drug paraphernalia, um, but it is completely random. And uh, the truth is, I have no idea how that picture ended up as my avatar. <laughs> because uh, as I recall, I was not sober when I created my Colin account. <laughs> and I have, I think I took that picture when I was like, at an airport, I parked like long term parking, I didn't want to forget, like where I parked. And I, I literally have no idea. And I'm just too lazy to change it. <laughs> well, you found your car. That's all that matters. What's on, what's on your mind apart from um, 1B level at the airport tonight? Um, yeah, I mean, okay, so a couple of things. But first, I just want to say, I, um, Rebecca, who you were just talking to now, mm-hmm. I thought that I, I agree, like, completely uh, with what she said, like, at the beginning about how I, I, I think that it is about, like, finding about addiction. Like, it's about, like, finding, like, positive addictions. Um, in life because you just kind of have to find your thing. Uh, Although, I don't know. I also think that like when you find your thing, it's not necessarily going to stay your thing. Like, I I don't know. I I tend to get bored of things like after a while. Mm. And so I think the key is just like continuing, like finding positive addictions, but continuing to like find like new ones too, um, to move on to. But so I, yeah, I thought I, I love that conversation. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm glad. I also had a comment uh, about the debate earlier this week. Mm-hmm. Um, because you made what I believe was a great point. And I would just, you know, like to say I, I, I completely agree with it. And I guess so. So during that debate between Esperanza and Kim Iverson, um, at one point, it, you know, these were not her exact words, but it sounded to me like Esperanza was basically saying the problem with big tech 
is that they don't ban and censor enough. Um, I think in, in, I mean, in some respects, that's, I mean, the belief, you know, she brought up some examples, her friends and particularly in the sex work industry getting harassed and Twitter, not doing anything about it. And then obviously the dead naming issue. So I think that's a, a fair enough. I mean, I think she'd be more specific about it, but it's a fair enough a characterization. Right, right, right. Yeah, the, the the characterization that, you know, the the basic argument being the problem with big tech is that they don't ban and censor enough. And I just, like, when you think of, like, the messaging, communications, appeal of that argument, um, a, a couple of things. I mean, it's already not starting out in a great place in terms of its appeal to people. Most people would disagree with that statement. Um Freedom of speech is a value most people agree with. Uh, so just to like start out, it's it's already not looking great. Um, and secondly, even if you narrow it down to the minority of people who would agree with the general statement that the problem with big tech is they don't ban and censor enough, to even with them, the problem is quote unquote misinformation. Um, election conspiracy theories, anti-vaxxers, etc. Um, so, like, even with them, you know, um, who is a minority to begin with, if you try to tack on and be like, oh, and, you know, we also need to ban this Canadian reactionary podcaster, <laughs> e- even with them, they're going to be, like, thinking, a lot of them, they're going to be thinking, uh, sure, like... <laughs> And and then again, you know, most people don't even agree with the broader statement because most people value free speech. And, you know, so my point is like, I just think that, you know, this is just, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I thought the debate was interesting. Um, it was good, but I, I just think that this is just like a loser argument. And if I see a debate, I'm not going to side with the person who's making it. Yeah, so this is part of why, and I know people, and we all, we did seven hours on this on Colin, so I don't, I won't spend too long talking about this again today, but that's part of why I fundamentally wanted to have that episode, because it pains me to know, however you feel about it, even if you're not a free speech absolutist, that not at least acknowledging and like kind of respectfully engaging with the free speech argument is going to be so alienating to so many people now. That you have to figure out a way to respond, even if you, for some reason, in some scenario, don't think the speech side of it should win out, right? You know, many people earlier in the week when we did those call-ins brought up the um, the the free speech paradox. And, you know, there there is an argument for that, but you got to make it. You got you to gotta make the case for why you think we're safer with Twitter of all things. I mean, I, I, and I think there's some space for a free speech paradox. Maybe we are getting close enough to fascism that it's just too dangerous to have fully free speech, but Twitter for me, Twitter, you're not going to help. You're not going to successfully make that argument for me in, with respect to Twitter, at least make it some real first amendment constitutional issue, not this platform stuff. Um, and so I, it, it concerned me to see so many people. I think, Obviously, Ole was right on the merits. There's no question about it. But it, it concerned me that there were so many people that I saw not taking Ole's argument seriously 
because the speech point wasn't really engaged with or to the extent that it was engaged with, you got people saying things like, if you think that uh, dead naming should be allowed on Twitter, then you are default a transphobe. And that, you know, Esperanza said a version of that during the debate. And, you know, if you think that's the case, you're entitled to that belief. But the consequence of it is that you're calling a lot of people on the left and an enormous, I would argue, a majority of people overall, transphobes. And maybe you think they are transphobes, and that's fine, but it has this whiff, of, whiff to me of Hillary Clinton calling folks deplorables, where if you want to have power and you have want to have a mass movement and you want people to listen to you and feel like you respect them as voters and as human beings, whatever you feel like on the inside and whatever might be true, it just doesn't seem to me very good practice as an organizer, not as like a regular schmo, call what people, whatever you want as a regular schmo, but as a public facing person, as an organizer, as an activist, it's, it's just doesn't seem especially productive. So I agree with you. I, I, I I agree completely with that. I mean, I, I do, um, you know, when I, I, I'm like not when I, when I say that I thought that there were good points that, um esperanza did make despite like just not agreeing with like the thrust of her argument um i'm being sincere like i i i kind of do like understand like the the impulse to um throw around like the kind of i don't know if i i mean a slur whatever you want to call it i I don't to throw around like kind of like an ad hominem right um because like I think that people like get caught up where they see like uh, conservatives or like, or people on the right who are very willing to (laughs) throw around like ad hominem arguments and, you know, make like appeals like to fear people's like, like demagoguery and fear and like the people's worst emotions. And I, I think that there's like this like impulse to be like, okay, well, you know, we're going to, we're going to do that right back. And Mm -hmm. I mean, because I've been there before myself to, Mm -hmm. to be honest with you. Um, and that was kind of like, you know, and to think that like, you're actually, that that's actually the right approach, even though like now I don't think that it is. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I get that too. And I get the emotional response there. And like, I always say, like, there's something, there's all the emotional response is like so valid. All the disgust with the people who are speaking in ways and making arguments that don't seem to really connect with or respect your personhood, all of that, like, it's so legitimate. And I've been there and I understand the emotional response, but I, I like, I always say, do you want to be right? Or do you want to be heard? <laughs> do you want to be right? Or do you want to be effective? And unfortunately, sometimes the emotional catharsis is not compatible with changing the reality that's so distressing. So thank you yeah, so much. No, no, yeah. I, I agree with you. And like, but I'm also talking too about like, not just like kind of like the emotional response, like, like, like reacting like really negatively to um what you feel like is like an attack on you um and reacting emotionally i'm talking about like i I think too that 
you know, and this is where I, where I think I was at one point that like, if there's bystanders, like, you know, watching this play out, yes. like you're thinking like, what's like, and, and, and I agree with you generally speaking, like, you know, you probably don't want to do that. Like if, uh, at least if you're thinking about the bystanders who are watching. Yeah. But I think that like, I was in, I don't know. I talked to myself at one point. I was like, well, most people rem- like to, to, to say that, to like, say like, you know, so-and-so is a transphobe. That is like an emotional, that argument does, it, it may like, you, I, I hear what you're saying. Like, you know, logically speaking, it may be true, but it is also invoking emotion to say, you know, so-and-so is a transphobe because like, that's like, you know, most, like you said, most people like hear that and they, they feel like they are being attacked and the bystander also feels like mm -hmm. they're being attacked and the bystander, sorry about that. The bystander probably is going to remember that they're probably, you know, if you try to make like, well, you know, rationally speaking, you know, I think that, that your logic is fallacious. The, the person who's like watching that will probably just like forget that what you said three weeks later, Whereas if you make like a more emotional argument where it's like, you know, they're a transphobe, then like, you know, they might, it, it could, it could, it would turn a lot of people off. Yeah. So I, I, I don't, I don't think, think I don't necessarily think I would, emotion isn't perhaps not the right word, but we talked about this in the earlier episodes. So I don't, again, I don't want to spend too much time here, but the, the issue is something can be a slur. People don't want to call things like, calling someone a transphobe or racist or stuff, they don't want to say that's a slur because there's an implication that it's not also true. But it can be both. And I think that's almost diminishing to those terms and what they mean to pretend like any halfway decent person shouldn't be insulted by it. Of course you should be insulted by it. It's a bad thing. That's why I'm angry when I'm using it. Like <laughs> That's why I'm, I'm, I'm not calling you that because I think you're swell, you know? So I, 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 don't, I, I don't like the response that the left often gives that is like, you know, oh, it's not a slur. And I know it is intended by that. What they're saying is like, no, I'm not intending it just to hurt you. I'm saying it because it's true. It's both hurtful and true. But it makes you sound like completely out of touch and like you're in denial when you're like, no, it's not a slur. Like, no, the point is that even though this is a hurtful statement, I'm saying it because the term applies to you. And then you have to be prepared to explain why the term applies. And that I think it would have been much more useful and educational for people who like him and don't see her as a transphobe for them to understand why people were so upset by her comments. If Esperanza had instead said, I, you know, I didn't like these things that you said for the following reasons, these things that you said were uh, offensive to trans people, these things undermined the rights of trans people. And here's why it, we would have learned so much more from that. Then transfer. And that's why I also think that I don't call people racist. It's not because they aren't. It's because we learn a lot more from being specific. And also you don't get, again, all these well-meaning liberals throwing these words around in ways that undermine, like they, they diminish the power of the words themselves because then they're using them where they don't belong and also can't explain what racism is because they're never challenged to do so. They can't explain what transphobia is. They just run around using these words and then it's the boy who cried wolf, but thank you for calling in Joe. All right. Yeah, no, th- thank you. No, I, I agree. Thanks. Bree. All right. I'm going to end with Amanda. I meant to end at um, the 30, but I saw this, there was a little pack of women here <laughs> and I really wanted to have some gender parody before I logged off. So Joe was in the I'm cluster of like three women. You're the last one, Amanda. 
<laughs> okay, I'll keep it real brief. Um, first, I just want to quote you uh, about a month ago. I just wrote down a note during the the June 16th show. It says, here lies Brianna Joy Gray, who evangelized for Star Trek. And I just really appreciate <laughs> you for just that one thing. Um, of course. The other... <laughs> the other thing is I wanted to recommend um, the, the series Nine Perfect Strangers. Um, it's on Netflix, I think. Oh, that's it where, gives, like, they're all, like, these young people in a house? Wait, go ahead and explain. It, it's like a, like a restorative or transformative health spa res, retreat thing. And, and they, they do some psychedelic experience stuff there's some kind of weird stuff but it's a pretty good show and it does give a pretty good representation of different ways that people tend to experience psychedelics just from my own hmm. personal standpoint it, it it'll give you a, a a better taste and leave you with a better taste in your mouth than the, than the horror film that you saw about mushrooms just as a <laughs> palate cleanser of, of a different of a different um, artistic, and it's got Melissa McCarthy and Nicole Kidman in it, so you know it's not oh okay it's not I'm in. nothing. So um, I watched the most interesting Nicole Kidman movie today, by the way, and apparently it was directed by um oh shoot Ryan oh it's not important Ryan Nolan Ryan Nolan no 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 who did who did the um who did the um alien ones someone someone in the chat will say and and she have you seen this movie she she has amnesia i never heard of this movie but it had like a lot of star power in it also she's always like in these domestic abuse situations and everything she is i don't know what i don't know what's going on with nicole kimmon anyway never mind i just thought it was interesting that we're both in this nicole (laughs) kimmon vibe today but i will 100 percent um take that recommendation because i i'm always in need and the quick thing, thank you for having Dr. Hart. And um, two of the, the two concepts I, yes, really, I, Scott. I wanted mm-hmm. to hear it, hear a little bit more, um, or at least feel was emphasized more that, that really caught my attention when, when I w- saw him on book TV when his first book came out. Which is <clears throat> one thing is the, the concept that we're, we're saying nobody's allowed to do it because there might be 25% of us who can't handle it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that that's an overboard. And I think it kind of comes from a libertarian-ish philosophy, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. But, but that, that gave me a different framework for looking at how do we look at drug policy. And the other thing mm-hmm. is... Is is he did bring it up, but but it would have been nice to hear a little bit more about because the thing about testing the rats, giving them cocaine, and that they would they would take the cocaine until they were dead. Well, they wouldn't do that if there were other things to do, if there were other rats around. And so the epidemic Mm -hmm. of of overdoses is more about loneliness Mm -hmm. and not having anything other than the drug to go to. Yeah. And I think that's an important lesson that, that um, is some, some of the message that I've, I've heard um, Dr. Hart try to, you know, pass along over the years. And I think he's just trying to say, we need to kind of grow up about it. 
yeah. and say, let's instead of instead of scaring everybody into not doing it, let's give people the information. Yeah. This is this is like he was, you know, do you just lay out he we know scientifically here's the situation. Yeah. You know, and as things get updated, it would have been nice to hear if if now that we have a lot more genetic sequencing if they've done any studies related to any genetic predisposition to mm-hmm. to addictions or things like that because I know he still works in the field. So it, that would have been an interest but I I I really appreciated the the um honesty and vulnerability that you showed and and the conversation really was I think helpful for a lot of people who who don't have other venues to ha- even have hear other people have this conversation so as usual spectacular job Well thank you Amanda I appreciate that cuz I finished recording in the middle of my covid stupor And I thought to myself, oh, they're going to cancel me for being a real L7. Brianna Joy Gray, she's a real square. I'm showing my true color. (laughs) No, here's here's your solution for that. All you have to see, because I I have an addictive personality myself, and I would never, to me, putting a needle in my arm, that's too desperate to be high. I don't need to be, if I need to be high that much, there's really something I need to be checking out. But you know what? If I'm at the end of my life, if somebody gives me three months to live, I am going to go on a heroin binge because why not? (laughs) For sure. I mean, Dr. John has been a heroin addict for 40 years. There's something to it, right? So when I'm at, maybe you said, you know, when I turn 60, I'm going to, this is, uh, maybe I'll try ecstasy with my honey when I turn 60 or something, you know? Yeah, I used to say when 40 seemed very far away. My, I have two good <laughs> friends from law school, one of whom is uh, Egyptian American and one's Ethiopian American. And we all said, like, by the time we're 40, we're going to have lots of money and we're going to be able to afford to do an East Coast of Africa trip where we did Egypt, Ethiopia, and Kenya. And we each, like, planned our own respective countries and we were going to, like, have a big to-do and do it really nicely. Now it's, like, around the corner and they both have young children, so who knows what will happen. But in my my telling of it, we're going to climb Mount Kenya, which was our ninth grade class trip. So I hope I can still do at 40 what I could do at 13 or 14. <laughs> and at the top, do a drug. I mostly just thought smoke pot because I don't really want to do psychedelics trying to trip back down the mountain. Like, I'll, I'll literally be tripping down the mountain. Yeah, um, you don't want to be doing that. <laughs> but like that's that in my good, that's head. That's not a good setting. <laughs> in, my, in my head, that was the scenario that I was going to climb Mount mm. Kenya, maybe like scatter my dash, dad's ashes up there because he loved climbing Mount Kenya and then smoke, mm. smoke a doobie. So we'll see. Maybe, maybe that will be my moment, but it does feel like at this point it has to be something kind of meaningful because like what's the point at this big age? What's the point? But look, I really appreciate you um, hanging in there to be the last caller, Amanda. Sure. You have a good night and take care of yourself this weekend. Thank you. I will. I will. Keep the faith. And I know some of you were clamoring for me to end with Red, but I know that if I bring Red on here, we're going to start kikiing, and it's going to be more than just the few minutes that I want to spend getting out of here. Stay tuned. Hopefully I will scramble and get you guys an episode for Monday. If not, I hope you'll forgive me. I had COVID this week. (laughs) Give me a break. Um, but regardless, I'll definitely do a call in on Monday and we will talk about something because you know, I can't go without you guys. You know, I can't quit you. <laughs> Take care of yourselves and keep the faith. Nothing's going to happen. Yeah. Cause she's so high.
Why should I even 